Welcome to the podcast. Uh, first off, I want to give a shout out to Harlan Lessick and the Weekly Bean. Uh, once again, they they put a little note in there about the podcast. It comes out once a week. Uh, it's in Lloydminster, Kinnersley, Moose Jaw. So stop and check it out, guys. Really appreciate Harlan and his team and the support they've been giving the podcast. It's awesome. Uh, awesome to see. Really appreciate uh, seeing my name out and about. It's pretty cool. Um, next couple shout-outs, uh, Pat and Don Harris. Hope you guys are uh, listening to this one. Uh, I see on Facebook they wrote that they're enjoying their podcast on their drives. Uh, really appreciate you guys listening to the show. Really appreciate the feedback. Uh, David Sissons was another one. He said he just loves the work. He's really excited about the two guys we got on tonight. So I hope you enjoy this one, Dave. Um, love it when you guys interact. Uh, love the feedback. If there's somebody you're wanting to get on from the area, just shoot me a note. Uh, if you're looking to interact, I'm on Facebook. There's a group, Sean Newman Podcast. Instagram, just created a new account, actually. It's Sean Newman Podcast. And Twitter, um, we also have a new account there. It's S. Newman Podcast. So, uh Follow me on there, guys. It's the latest up-to-date on what's coming next on the podcast. And if there's anything you want to see, any feedback you want to give me, really appreciate uh, hearing from you guys. Uh, tonight is going uh, to be really exciting. we got uh, Morgan Merv Mann on. One of them's described as being the, the father figure of any hockey team he plays on, one of the leaders, guy who takes care of his teammates. Not that the other doesn't do that, but uh, the other one's described as fly by the seat of your pants. Uh, I'll let you figure that out as we get this podcast going here. But uh, both of them have played extremely good hockey. Uh, Merv was a junior A in Lloyd with the Blazers and then went on to CIS uh, with the U of S Huskies. And then uh, Morg played junior B uh, for the Lloyd Mr. Junior B Bandits and then made his way out to Acadia uh, and played for the Acadia Axemen and won a national championship with them. And then they both met back up in Lloydminster playing for the senior AAA team, the Border Kings, and would go on to win a couple of, uh, of uh, Allen Cups. So um, hope you guys enjoy. Strap in, because here we go. Without further ado. <laughs> Welcome to the Sean Newman Podcast. Tonight, uh, I got Morgan Merv with me. And uh, I've been looking forward to this one. Well, I, I had Merv lined up, and as soon as I told Morg I had Merv lined up, he's like, well, no, we might as well just do it all all together, right? So I got the brothers together now, so this should be uh, entertaining, maybe. Merv says Morg's going to do all the talking, so <laughs> we'll see about that. Uh, anyways, I'm excited to have you boys in. So I thought we'd uh, start with, uh, it just passed Mother's Day, so I thought maybe we'd start with a, uh, a story about your mom growing up. Uh, I know for me, uh, mom will come from a family of five. And so four boys played hockey, and my sister figure skated. And we all were competitive, were successful at the levels we played at. So she pretty much carted us around everywhere. And uh, if I think really far back on it, like I always admired... I'd have uh, playing midget and bantam specifically in Lloyd. We'd always have early morning practices. And living out on the farm, we'd be getting up at like a quarter to five in the morning. She'd drive us into Lloyd to have hockey practice to then drive us back out to Hillmont to go to school and never <coughs> once complained about it, right? And, you know, that in itself is like pretty special, right? Like, so I thought maybe we'd start with Morgan and see what, uh, what you can cook up. 
if, um, yeah, nice to be here, Tiger. And uh, um, I think uh, what you know, just on the, just thinking uh, spur of the moment here. Um, Mom uh, always made our own our hockey bags for us when we were young, and so um, sometimes people call it you know you uh, winning the parent lottery a little bit that the opportunities you get as a young person. Um, some of us are more fortunate than others to have those opportunities, and fortunately for Merv and I, we our mom, mom and dad, and um, were uh, we we were very fortunate that um, because of them the opportunities we got and. And so dad was the one that would probably uh, got up most mornings and did the driving with us because mom nursed uh, as well as um, being involved with the ranch at home. But <clears throat> the little things like making our shaps and um, sewing our hockey bags for us, all those little extra things that, uh, that moms do or that she did that uh, I'll always remember. Yeah, for sure. Morgan? Or Merv? Yeah, Merv here. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I think uh, for me the thing that uh, stands out most about Mum is that uh, she she's the one that instilled uh, the love of horses for us and and got us ponies when we were young and and that's uh, as a parent now trying to get the kids to ride. I see how hard it is uh, to match horses to kids and and to give a kid that opportunity and it's something that I'm still doing and enjoying and it. You know, Dad was certainly a part of it, but it was Mum that uh, that really instilled that uh, in us and had that love for it. And something we've shared and we still talk about today: uh, horses and analyzing them and uh, training them. And and so, probably that's where I've always felt as close to my mom as anywhere. Ah, cool. Um, switching subjects. Did either of you guys watch the Raptors game the other night? Mm-hmm. Love the Raptors. Do you? Yeah. Big basketball fan. I or yeah, just a Raptors I, fan. Uh, no, but I like the sport of basketball, and I I really enjoy the Raptors. I think as far as basketball goes, they're as classy a team um, in the NBA, and I like what they're about. I yeah, I really enjoy following them. Well, I was wondering, did you watch the game, Murph? We did, and I, I got to give my story on it. Ramona was in the other room and, and talking on the phone, and. Uh, we're not huge fans, the kids and I, but we watch it and uh, and just had to be watching this. And, and as as the second and third and fourth bounce off the rim and finally it went and, and we let out such a scream uh, that Ramona let out a holler from the other room to see what had happened, <laughs> which reminds me of the story Dad and Frank always told that uh, Jim Redden, Dad and Frank, uh, were watching the 72 series when Henderson scored. When Henderson scored, yeah. And they, they let out such a beller that Morgan was a year old and asleep in his crib, uh, woke up howling, they couldn't get him back to sleep. So <laughs> just kind of, yeah. a, it seems like it's a great moment in Canadian sport again. Absolutely. Oh, man, can you imagine? You're like, there's little Morg crying. You ruddy <laughs> fools, right? What are you doing? <laughs> I was wondering, is um, what is the best moment in sports you've watched live on television? Uh, because everybody right now is, like, they're comparing it to Jordan hitting, you know, game-winning shots and that kind of thing. Don't get me wrong. I was sitting there watching it last night, and I let out a fist pump and a little bit of a shout, too, and I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not a big NBA fan. Or I don't follow it that closely, I should mm -hmm. say. I love a game seven. And so with three minutes left, 
uh, I just had put the kids down to bed, and I flick it on, and I'm sitting there watching, and I'm like, holy man, this is a game, right? And then mm-hmm. Kawhi misses the the free throw, and you're like, what the heck is going on here? That's one of the best players in the world. And then the the shot, and just to see how it like bounced on the rim and didn't just – it wasn't like a swish, right? Like mm-hmm. it, just the way it did was theatrical. Yeah, and how he had time to – Sit down and and watch it and, watch and sh- it. see his facial expression as he's watching too. And Absolutely, yeah, it was pretty special. I'm wondering, is there is there another moment or that you guys have watched through your years that where you're like, oh, that one sticks out? I think it's easy. It's uh, uh, Lemieux to Gretzky, back to Lemieux and top corner. Uh, they all pile into the corner when they beat the Russians out, and Howard Chuck uh, made a pick on the play. Uh, that helped make the play and and Murphy he was uh, there's no chance he was getting the puck between Gretzky and Lemieux and that one just always stood out I still get the chills when I see that one and I would say I thought uh, and I don't remember the specifics exactly but um, when the women's Olympic team uh, came back from two goals down and they they pulled the goalie and um, the Americans iced the puck it hit the post yeah, and to come back down, score, and and um, I just that comeback in that game, remembering, watching, thinking that there, it's over. There's no way. It was like a bit of a miracle too. Yeah, and I was thinking uh, in my time, Sidney Crosby in the golden goal, right mm-hmm. when he scores against the Americans, and oh man, that was that was fun watching. Yeah, it was. You're both Oiler fans uh, too, aren't you? Oh, absolutely. What do you think of, hanging what do you think, in there. Well, I think we're all hanging in there. What do you think of Ken Holland coming to town? Yeah, I think it's a good move. Uh, I mean, he's got a, a great track record, and if if only he has the freedom to do the job. Uh, they seem to be to- so uh, top-heavy that you wonder how much. There's just so many voices in yeah. making decisions there from the periphery, it looks like, and I think it's hard for any GM to come in and take control. They they talk like he's going to have complete control. That's and what they we'll, said at the press conference like 12 times. We'll see. I mean, a GM's always supposed to have, and I, I don't think he'd come there without the full control, but uh, hopefully everybody else can step aside and let him do the job now. Yeah. Well, it's exciting times because, I mean, you get one of the best GMs in the last 20 years anyways. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, yeah. There's very few that are in the company of Ken Holland. Mm-hmm. It's such a fine line. It, I mean, it, I really think it comes down to goaltending. St. Louis is a, the greatest example of that to to, Bennington. to come from being in last place in their division to where they are now. And that's, I mean, a new coach, but goaltending, same group of players. It's a, you know, and, and the upsets that have happened, it, the parity's so tight that yeah. it's... Um, He'll be a good stabilizing influence, so too, and I think we'll make good moves. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, I mean, I get it. I, I'm an I'm a optimist, right? Anytime they when they brought Chai in or Shirelli, I was like, you know what, the guys want a cup. I think he's willing to make the moves. And now five years down there, four years down the road, you're like, ah, crap. I just let's go back to zero and yeah. see if we can start this all over again. <laughs> we got the best stinking player in the world. I mean, be nice to get him in back in the playoffs, right? Mm-hmm. But. I want to go back to when you guys were young, because you guys are about two years apart. Yeah, 18 months. Yeah, 18 yeah. months, eh? So when did you guys start learn to uh, start playing hockey? Were you, was it on the ponds out at the farm? 
Uh, yeah, I guess uh, I'd say we started skating on the lake. I, I recall my first game of hockey, I'd watched Morgan play a little bit and had skated uh, with him and that on the ice. So I was capable when I started, but I was so shy and so nervous. I just, I said to mom and dad, I, I'll just stay home and play on the lake. I had no intentions of, <laughs> and, and I see kids have changed now. They're, they've loaded with confidence to go and do things. But in our day, we were pretty shy and pretty tentative to get started. <laughs> I started at five in grade one, and uh, I met my best friend growing up in the sandbox in kindergarten on the first day of school, Jason Plundowski. Oh. <laughs> and uh, he started playing at four, so he'd, he'd already been going a year. Yeah. And that's what he triggered me to, geez, I want to play hockey too. And so that's how I started. Um, when did you guys uh, get so competitive, or was that from an early age as well? Because I've been on the ice with the two of you, and... Uh, <laughs> There's fire still in the eyes to this day. <laughs> oh, I think anytime you grow up with a brother um, <laughs> and close enough in age like that, and even though I was older, Merv was always uh, bigger than I was, so it made it balanced things out, and so that probably had a lot to do with it. I, I've always thought I wasn't naturally that way, that uh, that was learning to keep up to an old older brother and... Uh, my knock when I was younger was being lazy or, or not engaged uh, in hockey and, and uh, continued to develop that a little bit. And then uh, um, Husky hockey, you know, really instills that in a person. So I think it, you know, it continued to get more and more for me. And But I, I don't think I was naturally the most competitive kid when I started. Do you think at a higher level, the higher you go, the the higher the competition is? It just teaches you to have that kind of killer instinct? Because, like, I know for myself, I've, I've, well, I played junior A, but when I skate with, like, dub guys or OHL guys or the guys who've gone to the next level, they just have another gear almost. And I'm not saying that goes across the board for all players at the next level, but I know that's coaching. I know that's, like, a mindset instilled. We had an excellent coach in Dryden. And uh, Larry instilled that right from day one. I still talk to my old teammates, and they talked about uh, one specifically, Jordan Chong. He went to Scholastica, and they were uh, that's uh, Minnesota, and they're Division three school, and uh, but they were nationally ranked in Division three. They're really really good, and he said he had teammates that he played against, but under Larry, Larry had taught us just to like hate it. He just drilled into us that we we're, you know, we're out, we're out there to win. There's no there's no friends on the ice. It's like, let's go at it. And it was like another level he took us to. And Jordan always talked talk to me about when uh, he'd go and, like, the first year he's there, he had a hard time hanging around with the guys because he's like, I just, it's almost in the back of my brain. I, I'm, I'm, I'm in a different spot than them or something like that. Like, do you think when you go to, like, you talk about the Huskies, and I sure assume Acadia was the same thing. When you get to that next level, they push you out of your comfort zone into another tier or am I or would you say it differently than that no absolutely I I, I really we talked about uh, parody uh, in players and and I've been watching kids in camp and that everybody's skill is close the same or the speed they skate or the way they stick handle um, but the ones that move on a level are the ones that are, are just that much more driven and and so yeah the the ones that are at a higher level have a, an extra drive to them and and so when you skate with them or you're around them, you all of a sudden you want to move yourself to that kind of a, a competitive level as well. 
would you say then it's it's uh there's just some kids that have it ingrained from them then at an early age that are just driven then and don't need to be taught that yeah for sure I mean I think as Merv said you can learn that and speaking of a coach that was that way I think under the right circumstances or environment you certainly can bring that out in in, in a person yeah. um but you know I've, I've been teaching school for 23 years and and um and coach lots and and for sure I see kids who are just wired that way that just ultra competitive and just can't get enough and just just that's their makeup hmm. when uh, you guys both played your minor hockey in Lloyd then Yes. Yeah. Uh, you were still on the farm at the time, yes? Yeah. Like you've always been there, right? So yeah. we were the Lloyd School District uh, where we lived. And I, I'm in the same house uh, I grew up in. We yeah. bought it from mom and dad. So that was Lloyd School District okay. at that time. I think about grade 10 it switched. But at, at the time we were born and, and raised and entered school, we were always the Lloyd District. So you drove to Lloyd all the time then for your minor hockey? Yeah. 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 So did you guys get to play together growing up then, or you were too far apart being 18 months? On two occasions, uh, Merv, uh, Adam, or no, it was yeah. Mighty Mites then, I guess, yeah. or Mites, Mites for where you, Roy right. Noble had called you up and just the circumstances of uh, how it worked, I'm not, I don't quite remember, but maybe there was room for somebody to move up, and, and you did that year. Yeah. And then again, when Merv was in Bantam, midget oh sorry you were yeah, in, bantam, in bantam and so um and on our midget midget team merv had moved up and and played we've got to play together there too yeah and you'd mentioned your midget team is one of your your fond memories yeah you know um what was it about your midget team because uh, um at that there wasn't a triple a team at that it wasn't called it was double a double a yeah. which yeah. was the our top midget team and um my first year playing there we, uh, with a half dozen guys that went on from there to play in the Western Hockey League and just some really lots of names of high-profile players in Lloyd at that time that uh, <clears throat> we, were, we were really good on paper and, and guys that went on to play some pretty good hockey. And the next year, it was a, a, a real collection of unique individuals <laughs> with no real specific uh, names of people that... Uh, of the group, especially comparing from the group of the year before, and Merv had come up as an underager, and um, we had a real eclectic group, but we we had more success that year than we had the year before, and it was just uh, a real special year and an, an example of and of uh, when your culture's good, and you have a really good group of guys, all every guys or girls, whatever team you're you're working with, but. Um, it, that we got along so well and such a good culture that we had more success than the team the previous year and, and uh, so it, was, it made it kind of special and we did uh, we did put a, a player in the NHL or uh, in the NHL Corey Cross uh, um, kind of finishing out his minor hockey that year getting ready to, to move off to school and uh, he tried out junior the year before and it hadn't gone well so we just decided to play this and uh, and then went on to be the amazing story he was when he went first overall in the supplemental draft and uh, had a, I'm going to say, a 10-year career in the NHL. So, yeah, he's uh, got a cool story. Yeah, mm -hmm. and he was good. I mean, uh, 
it, it looked like his, you know, he wasn't going anywhere at that time, but he was a, so tall and, and rangy and a good skater that he was very successful. Sorry, boys. No problem. I think that what you're talking about, an eclectic group or a good group of individuals in the culture, it reminds me of, uh, I forget who said it, but if your individual's off the ice, your individual's on the ice. And so many great teams, that happens to them, right? They don't gel as a team, and then they don't pull the same direction on the ice, right? Yeah. And some of the best teams are, I sent out the questionnaire to you guys, right? And I try and distinguish what the best team you played on, and that's like the best group of guys to play with, and then the most successful, because... They usually go hand in hand, right? Mm -hmm. You play with a team that if you gel, you do good things together, and winning solves a lot of problems. But from time to time, you get a group of guys that can win something, but it wasn't a whole lot of fun. And then you have a group of guys that was just a lot of fun to play with, and no matter if you won or lost, you push the same direction, and and that is fun in itself. Mm -hmm. I've never won with a group of guys um, that wasn't a good group. Yep. I and and one of my um, things in coaching and talking to to kids or to in coaching is winning is a byproduct of of being a, a you know like you're trying to create that family culture and a a good group of uh, people that with the character that are all going in the right direction in the same direction and I think that that then byproducts of winning. Um, and sometimes, some years, you have a really good group of kids you're coaching or, or teams you've been on, and you don't win that final game. It doesn't always work out, but I really f- uh, strongly believe that to have success, you have to have, you have to be together. Yeah, a healthy dressing room. Yeah, yeah. so important. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not Nothing tougher than losing and, uh, and infighting and meetings and... and uh, I mean, I the the sympathy I have for the Oilers because I've been on teams where it's just you, you can meet and you can analyze and you can yeah. it just I mean there there's no easy fix and it, boy those are long painful years doing something you love to do but it's a long painful year and and when it all goes right there there is no better it's it's great it's fun and um, but that doesn't come along every year no. Well, I wish that came along every year. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, if it was easy, it wouldn't be uh, that important. As enjoyable. Yeah. That's yeah. right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Just sticking with your midget for a second here. Uh, so, Merv, you go, you played up a year then? Yeah. It, there was only two years of midget then, so it's set up the way it is now. now but, um, so, as a 15-year-old, you went up. Yeah. And I, um, they let me try out, and then there wasn't enough spots, so I got sent back down to uh, Bantam. And then uh, an unfortunate incident, Jody Pollard broke his neck and, um, in a hit in Lloyd. And uh, so that left an opening on uh, the midgets. And so his misfortune allowed me to come up and spend the last year playing minor hockey with Morgan. And, and his group of friends were my group too. It was uh, Trevor Bygroves and Dion Pollards and Warren Noble. Um, those were all the guys I hung out with. So it was a fantastic year. What was it like being a young kid getting pulled up onto a group like that? Like, was there size dis- difference? Do you remember anything like that, or you were just a big kid and it wasn't? Uh, I can see Morg <laughs> smiling over there. <laughs> my well, my bragging point is I out uh, bench pressed them all that year at the wind up. We were <laughs> doing that, and <laughs> so I, I was 
I was a big boy young and, and that was no issue. And, and like I said, I'd hung out with these guys. So it was where I wanted to be. These were my friends and, and, uh, to have that year. So it was, it was a special one. So what age now do you guys start playing junior? Do you wait until you're graduated out before you play yeah, as a band? Yeah, out of midget, yeah. And Merv actually had some games in at 14. With the, the year before? With, uh, with, uh, BW with Ring Generals. Generals. Yeah, Generals. yeah. And it was uh, rough and tumble and nerve-wracking. <laughs> I remember uh, uh, the one game we had, we only had like 12 skaters for that one, and two of us were young call-ups. And Wade Inger was our trainer way back in those days. And they kept teasing him that he had to go to the drunk tank and get uh, three of our players out so we'd have <laughs> enough to play. And uh, I was pretty wide-eyed and <laughs> nervous. And, uh, oh, another one was uh, we were in Vermilion, And a couple of old fellas sat right by the penalty box. And they'd spend the whole day chirping at me for wearing a face mask. You chicken and quite the language they had and i was so nervous and shy and, and they just rode me the whole game but wearing a face mask in those days and in those days uh, guys weren't even wearing visors it was uh bare face so. no no uh no visors in junior b no yeah was there visors in junior a as long as i was ever involved yeah and i think there was when yeah. i but the junior b Run looser rules yeah. in those days. So when you yeah. started playing junior B, Mork, were you wearing no visor? No, I didn't wear a visor. Really? Yeah. Throwback. Yeah. You're dating yourself. Right That's now. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I haven't even figured out the years, but it was... Well, let's That would be 89, 90, I guess. And about those visors, I remember it was Medicine Hat, wasn't it, that come up to play you guys to go to Provincials? Mm-hmm. And they were a, a full-face mask team. And I think five of these guys, uh, I'm, I'm thinking it was five, got sent to the hospital with bad cuts to the faces. Like, um, they didn't have the respect having played yeah. in a league with mass. And these guys, I mean, it just wasn't the right thing to do anymore. You, you need to have a visor on. Eyes are too precious. And it was, it was such a rough league at that time, too. Like, I'm not sure if there were a game went by without a fight or a, a line brawl or a bench brawl. And so it was. It was rough. The, the game has really changed. Changed, since then. yeah. What do you guys think on uh, um, the hitting aspect of it? I think I've had this conversation maybe with both of you in a dressing room or two. But what do you think of them removing hitting from younger group? Well, I think it's now you got to be Bantam to get into hitting, don't you? It is. It and, is. Yeah. And. It, uh, and I haven't coached that level. I've watched it, and I don't think it's working. Um, I, I see 80-pound uh, kids moving up to play against 220-pound kids, and uh, it, it's just not working. And it, like, uh, sorry, I couldn't find what. That's Mork. <laughs> <laughs> the Double A uh, uh, Bantam boys I skated with this year a couple times, and I think they had six kids out at that time with uh, shoulder injuries and knee injuries. So. Um, I, ne I never would have said it. I, I'm an adamant believer that hockey was uh, about body contact, um, and I still believe that, but maybe body checking is going to go out and it'll be more the female style of game where it's, it's lots of aggression, lots of contact, but the big heavy hits are going to go because it's just so many injuries now. Yeah, I, I certainly agree with uh, what we see in Bantam, but... Um, you know, the stats in P when it was in Pee Wee, all of a sudden when their numbers just kept declining and declining, 
as far as Hockey Canada numbers of, of kids playing hockey in, in Peewee, there was such a decline that when they took the hitting out, the numbers jumped back up like 35%. It was, it was like quite a, quite a difference. And so I used to really strongly believe that hitting shouldn't start uh, until kids figure out how to skate because you're, you're so vulnerable at the younger ages that they, if you, you are able to skate, then you're, you're a pretty easy target for those kids that, that haven't learned that skill yet. But I think a version of some sort of uh, uh, body contact at, at right from when you begin, just to learn body awareness and positioning that maybe needs to be in right from the beginning, just to get that sense of it's not it's not such a drastic change then. You think hitting is going to be out of the game? Uh, yeah, checking might. Contact never will, but the, the actual body check. Your thoughts, Tiger? You're grilling us here. but Well, I, I don't know. I, I was doing a little bit of research into it. Uh, I was doing a little bit of research into like the history of hockey and Lloyd, and I'd read a thing um, <laughs> from 1936 that uh, it said, hockey continued to become more popular than ever, adding to its popularity were some changes to the game, and in 1936 they permitted body checking anywhere on the ice. So it's been around for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I grew up with hitting. So for me, I don't know how I, – I just – I don't know how else the game can be played. I'm I'm all for taking out the head shots, the dirty plays, the checking from behind. There's a lot of bad plays that come with hitting that, that – uh, but there's a lot of good aspects of hitting that – I like too, right? I'm a. You guys watch me a lot. I love a good hip check. I don't think there's anything dirty or malicious about it. Mm-hmm. Guy comes down and tries to dipsy do the. I, if you can't touch him anymore, mm-hmm. then the game is fundamentally changed, and it already has been fundamentally changed. They've made a lot of different rule changes since I played my competitive hockey or my my junior days, right? And you guys are before that, right? The amount of changes they've made. Um, the only thing I haven't done is I haven't coached like you guys. And so I, I don't, honestly, I don't know at the younger years, if I'm sitting there watching, do I go, oh, yeah, they need to remove body checking, right? Like, I watch my son coming up, and I go, like, yeah, he's going to like body checking, right? <laughs> like, he just, he's a kid that likes rough and tumble. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And not every kid is built like that. No. And so I, I don't know, you talk about numbers, that makes a lot of sense to me, right? Like, if you take away the physical aspect of hockey like that at the younger ages i can see a lot of kids wanting to stay in it but if you're introducing it again in bantam or in midget or whenever that's still going to knock off a bunch of kids because they're going to come in and not know what the heck's going on mm-hmm. i think back to when i grew up and adam i got called up to Wee house which Wee house is you know now you watch it and but for the at the time i was over the moon got called up Wee house and my first shift i got absolutely clobbered and went oh don't do that right now mm-hmm. and that you, was the start of it in, in your day yeah and, and mine that was where Pee-wee. i started and then adam contact, in the practices yeah. they let you scrum my that's what i'm calling it along mm-hmm. the boards they let you kind of have a little bit of contact nothing too crazy and before that adam there was nothing and now for it not to come in until bantam i, I don't know i that's why i come to you guys and grill you two because you mm-hmm. both are well-respected coaches in the area you get to see it on a daily basis pretty much in the winter time so if you tell me it's that's the way it's going and that's a good thing then i i trust your opinion 
Oh, I, I mean, I really, at especially the high level, hate to see it go. Um, but it's hard to even throw a hit now without on, on somebody coming down on you, lean the head. So, yeah. I mean, their head is going to be the first point of contact. So, even allowing it, it's a struggle to be able to do it properly. Um, so, I just think they're in a in, in their concussion uh, lawsuit right now. I, I just, uh, everything that's ahead, it's, it's going to be tough. Yeah. No, that's that's fair enough. It's 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 a tough. It's not mm-hmm. a black and white answer for the most part, right? Like it's pretty uh, delicate issue right now. Mm-hmm. It and it's you know it still has a lot to do with, uh, I think, as a coach and the refs and the people managing the game, that if you're dealing with people who are respectful of the safety of the kids they're coaching, you know at whatever level you start body checking it, it that's you know that makes such a difference too and um I, I think for the most part I, I was coaching bantam this year and had it was for the for the most part a really good experience in that regard of uh <clears throat> people the the hitting and that being reasonable that it wasn't excessive or to go out and hurt and and but a lot of that onus comes on the coach on the coach and unfortunately, there's the there odd still one. is there's the yeah. odd guy. And yeah, it seems to be less and less. Yeah, but yeah. I think they're weeding them out, but it's frustrating when when, uh, when you're you sending your kids out against somebody that's asking his kids to hurt you, and uh, probably the guy never had any guts when he played, uh, but willing to ask uh, these kids to go and do that sort of thing. So, I I find that about as uh, probably the most frustrating thing of coaching is when you. You're seeing your kids taking a beating out there, and there's nothing you can do about it. You know what you'd like to do, but it just can't happen. On, um, I was talking to Corey Dallin earlier today, and uh, we got talking about uh, hockey year-round now. That's a very big thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like ice is in year-round. Kids play spring hockey. They different sporting camps. All they just they're one sport athlete now. I was wondering your guys' thoughts on that. Are you are you big proponents or big pushers of that, or with your or are you where hockey is? What is it? Seven months of the year, and then once we're done that, we're going to try something different for a little bit. Or what's your guys' thoughts on on uh, getting a break from it? Because my experience, if I think about it, I loved playing ball growing up until I hit. I think it was like Bantam, and then I it just got tired, and I only and I wanted to summer off almost. Mm-hmm. But I watch these kids now, and they're like machines. Like mm-hmm. they just, and I don't know if I always hear the burnout uh, argument that they burn out when they get to eighteen or whatever. I don't know if that's true or not, but I don't know. I thought I'd throw that at you guys. Oh, I'm I'm a I mean I a big proponent of trying to develop an athlete, um, play as many different sports and activities as you can, and when it comes that time that and that's probably to me I would think. Uh, after kids go through puberty and, and that uh, at, at that point that you can really get serious about a specific sport. I do acknowledge that to, um, if to, to play hockey now at the highest level, it, you do have to go year-round. Um, and if you have a son or daughter that's that really passionate about it and you know they just can't get on the ice enough or really wanting to go, then I don't think that there's necessarily, you know, that's not a problem because... But when you lose that interest or it's not that much fun or it's a bit of a job to go to the rink, um, then I just don't see what the point is because 
unless you have that fire um i just it just doesn't work out in the end i know uh, i remember reading an article about michael jordan and a this basketball player from france got won a trip to come over to new york and meet him and play in the top college game and had a chance to interview michael jordan and said you know just how did you do it all the you know the work you put in and the time and and uh, how dedicated you were and he said you the key is you have to love it it can't be work and so if you love something that much and the you're right the the skill of of hockey players today is at a level it's Never I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And, uh, and you just have to, it, it is, you have to go year round if you do want to make that, the next make it job. now. Yeah. Yeah. And I, but I think if you, uh, I still think that you want to do other sports and activities to develop yourself as an athlete. I mean, maybe Mervy will speak on the, the Sutter article, but mm-hmm. it's, uh, I think that's still important, but. That's the way it's gone. And that's, uh, I mean, every study you read will say that. You've got to do other uh, um, sports and, and to train your mind and your thought process. But even, we talked though, Hockey Canada's events, they're all in the summer. So, I mean, one time they're telling you, yeah, you got to get out and do other things. And then they'll also point out at World Junior Camp, 95% of these guys can't throw a baseball don't know the rules so to make it to the elite level um there certainly is a point where you've got to go go for it i feel and and i i i fought it a long time and i think it's uh, you know as they hit 15 years old or something that's when you buy in and and go for it uh before that um the minute that last game ends i'd like to see everybody go a different direction and do something different but um you, you get looking over at your buddy's kid and he's getting better because he's doing extra training it's hard and and so uh, I think that's the big thing it's competition amongst parents and amongst kids themselves to not let their buddy get ahead of them and, and so they feel like they got to keep training and for the one or two that make it out of it great uh, there are lots that are lost along the way where it becomes a chore uh, they start to lose a little ground and they realize this is all I've done for uh 10 years is, is follow hockey year round and and start to really hate it and I still like putting on the skates and I know I couldn't have put in the time that a lot of these kids do now yeah what do you guys do what did you do back then for training in the summer because you you could uh, you go on to play junior a and junior b do you remember what you used yeah to do? I've got to or take this one because <laughs> this one bothers me still I would run all summer long and and uh worked and and running was my big thing i mean it was always cardio and morg would come out the last week and he'd beat me and i was like god sakes <laughs> not fair eh? different body types and yeah and he could just come out and he hadn't uh, trained he was just natural he'd come back in shape but for me if i hadn't worked at it i wasn't going anywhere Here, here's one for you merv that'll make you feel better about body types so in 2006 i bike with my brother and uh, Loria, a girl that I'd met actually like a day before the trip. We bike across Canada, right? So for 69 days, I come back in, and my legs are like freaking nothing but muscle. And as one of the things in our camp, we had to run like 3.3 miles, so 5K. And I'm in like fantastic shape. I still couldn't win that, and I ended up getting like 15th because I tried so hard to lead 
to like I'm I'm winning this thing. Like I just <laughs> came across country, and there was guys that were just running body types, and they beat me, and they were mm-hmm. laughing at me, and I was just so mad, right? <laughs> yeah, like yeah, I, yeah, no matter how hard I tried at running, I get that that uh, the body type thing, like and I a different muscle group, and you know it, it's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, I couldn't. I sucked at it. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. What uh, so? Let's go down your junior B road here for a second there, Morg. So you go from midget then, you finish your midget career, and then you go into playing junior B for three years? Uh, two years. Two years. Yeah. I, yeah, I left a year of eligibility of junior to go to school. And what was what was the uh, – when I had Dwayne in here, he had, um, like, Western Championship uh, – program and like the junior b's back then were extremely good was that the years you played or around the time yeah so my first year um it went from the bw rig generals to the to the bandits and it was just it it became a whole new team and and organization and roy noble tom petrie uh ian bellier were three of the big people behind starting the bandits and um they changed the culture of the team and the expectations of what it meant to play there and and more of a you know in some ways by the second year we it was a little bit like the culture of a junior a team in in when brent Dallin and john saunders came on with the expectations of of the players and the commitment that you were you had to make and so um and the run that happened from there in our second year we went right to the western canadian finals <clears throat> and so uh had won the Alberta Provincials and then Western Canada, and then for, and and afterwards they won it two or three times. Uh, yeah, Bart Redden and Warren Noble had won. Yeah, for and maybe when they hosted here too, but just had a have had a great run as an organization. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, what were you guys on? Like, were you still practicing twice a, twice a week then? Yeah. And was it the same league they're in now? Like, are we talking Vermilion? Yeah, exact uh, same league. Exact same league. Yeah. Do you know how many teams back then they had? Like, was it uh, bigger than it is now? Or Oh, or I th- I would think close. Mostly the same teams. Yeah, like, I mean, like Cole Lake was in it. No Cole Lake. Wainwright was always tough yeah, to handle. Yeah, Vermilion. Yeah. Was it a, was it a, I grew up watching the, when I was coming up and watching the Bandits, it was, it was a tough league. There was a lot of fighting in that. Was it was it a same? rough league, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sometimes in the crowd, I remember watching the game and was sitting there by one of his uh, teammates <laughs> that was injured or kicked out, and uh, several fans from Satellite got him down and worked him over. So <laughs> it was certainly Western. And <laughs> <laughs> did you play? Uh, were the Bandits uh, affiliated with the Blazers at the time? Blazers, Lancers, Blazers, Blazers, Blazers. Yeah, yeah, and and played some games, some games up, and some. Yeah, and then you go from junior B. I was saying this off air. So you go from junior B to playing for Acadia. Like, how does that? Like, we were talking about all the names. And you can say them all and where they went and the accolades they got. Mm-hmm. And for like, I mean, it speaks to the the player you must have been and still are for that <laughs> matter, right? When you get to watch it, right? But like, to go from a junior B program to Acadia, who eventually wins the national championship, that's a that's a big jump. Yeah, and it was and much bigger than I realized it was going into it. I was very fortunate to get the opportunity. Um, our coach at the or my coach at the time, John Saunders, had played out in Acadia, and uh, 
and a couple games with the Maple Leafs and, and had an excellent career himself. Uh, he thought I could play there, and I think the league had uh, the team in the league had developed in the Atlantic side of university hockey. Had, they started to, uh, all the teams attract players from um, the OHL and the Western League, and so it was maybe more than he remembered it was, but um, I, I, I kind of believe that everybody gets an opportunity in life and it's what you make of it and I that was my break in at that time to uh, get a chance to go to school and and play on that team and um, it worked out well because there was certainly some real high-end hockey players there that uh, were above my ability. I was talking with one of those guys today <laughs> Mr. Colin Gregor mm-hmm. and he said you were a fish out of water when you first walked on campus a little <laughs> ranch boy on, on the campus uh, didn't know <laughs> <laughs> you said you stuck out like a sore thumb with your Wranglers on, and <laughs> what, what was it like going all the way across Canada like that? Yeah, I mean, I, it, yeah, I suppose he's right. It, uh, I was 19, so um, you know, old enough, and it's when people move on and do their own thing. But with growing up on the farmer, and uh, you know, not really venturing out too far from the area to to move all the way out east, and there's no going home on the weekends, and and um, I hadn't really even going through high school even considered much thought of going to university so initially it uh, and a lot of these guys that were I mean on the team they were guys that knew each other from playing major junior together and all connected and so it was a big step and and one that uh, it tests the person you know it it, uh, certainly was a felt some homesickness and a challenge but uh with it by Christmas, I you know I'd fa- I'd fallen in love with the uh, the team and the university and the guys, and it just proved to be kind of a game changer for me. I heard your uh, first goal you scored for him was quite something. Yeah, <laughs> how does he tell it? Well, he says you're uh, dumping the puck in off the stanch and got run over on your ass, and <laughs> his memory's a little different than mine. <laughs> I did. Uh, <laughs> it was a clear shot on net, Tiger, and but uh, in the process of shooting, I did get hit, and um, and uh, by the time I realized it was in, I was there was a pretty good celebration going on because uh, the guys were pleased to see me get one. I heard the bench cleared, and uh, so yeah, it was a, kind of a version as he recalls it, but somewhere in the middle I'm he sure. also did say the version changes uh about 20 times every time it gets told it gets told a little different <laughs> right yeah that's what happens a couple other things he brought up was uh something about a 10-speed bike and rip off rick rip off rick the chain come off on <laughs> oh it. yeah it's a good story <laughs> so um acadia is a small campus and all three years i was there to get my arts degree i um never had a vehicle so i uh, my first year um, just walked everywhere and my second year I thought I should get myself a, a bike and rip off Rick comes from there's a, a fellow named Rick that runs the market and um, <clears throat> he uh, the current head coach of Acadia right now did you did you happen to see they made the national news last year for the bench clearing brawl they had with Saint of X no I didn't with know. players suspended and anyway Darren Burns is a fellow I played with yeah during those years and now he's been the longtime serving coach of Acadia but we called him Rip Off Rick or I did because he sold me, sold me the bike and I thought he I'd give him a hard time that he took me on the deal but 
anyway I, I used to bike to practice and bike everywhere and grow <laughs> on this on the sand roads at home or the gravel roads you know there's not much of an opportunity to bike in the country as you know and that's uh, um so biking in the city or in the in a town was a bit of a new experience for me too so i bike on the sidewalks are probably not quite where i'm supposed to be all the rules of biking but on the occasion he's talking about i turned the corner to to bike up to the rink and notice the football a carload of football players from the from the team were behind me so i thought i'd really dig in to get ahead of them and not let them pass me whatever the mindset was but the chain went on me and I flew off the bike and had to gather that up and run to the rink with them behind me to hearing the cat calls to spur you on <laughs> yeah that's right um one other thing I liked Hugh call was talking about was all the different nicknames he gave you mm-hmm. he used to call you Tex and Wrangler the one that I really like because I think I I never I've never heard this one from me, but it makes sense. Is little fella, and they said it used to just drive you nuts. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think it was too bad. Oh, it didn't get you fired up. No. Yeah, there was. Yeah, he, Greg Z, I think him himself had a few, few nicknames. How about the alumni trip you went on? You just uh, last year you went back for. 25 years after winning a championship actually we should maybe talk about the championship because you go twice to twice you get close to a national or the first year you almost win it the second year you win it right yeah all three years we went to and at that time it was just four teams from each of the conferences go to the national finals yeah. and and it was always in toronto at that time yeah maple played leaf at gardens? the maple leaf gardens Ooh. and um all three years there we went it was a pretty special team like our records were 26 and one and for the and listeners give some of the names you were talking off air and, and who they were well oh yeah where to begin well f- for example our um kevin Knopp, who's from edmonton he won two memorial cups and norm batherson uh, maybe as good a player as i played with his son uh drake batherson who's now with ottawa and started with the world junior team last year um it was just it was a real talented team and so um that year that we won, we beat U of A in the semifinal 7-3 or 7-4 and then went on to beat U of T 12-1 in the final. Um, yeah, it was just a very talented team. Yeah. and Lucky uh, to be there. Well, I shouldn't give Colin, put you in a tough spot with Colin. He did say a lot of good things about you too, right? Like he did say you were one of the gel guys of the team. Everybody... The reason they ran out on the ice in your first goal is because they were all that pumped for you, right? Like everybody was. Uh, well, you, you said you're, you're we're gel part of the team. You helped gel the team together. Everybody wanted Morgan, and wanted the best, and had a great mm-hmm. time with Morgan. He did say you're a little bit of a prankster, although I've heard that several times from <laughs> every guy I talked to who played with you. So I think that carried on from uh, probably your junior days all the way through mm-hmm. to uh, the Border Kings, and even now for that matter. But, I mean, to win a national championship in Maple Leaf Gardens, let's talk about playing in Maple Leaf Gardens. How was that? Like, how was that rank? Well, yeah, I mean, the history and a pretty special arena. And yeah. In our rank, there was a – or in our dressing room, there's a telephone in the rank, and that seemed like a real novelty to me, <laughs> <laughs> that in itself. And I remember coming in and phoning uh, Merv when, as soon as we came in and won. And, yeah, it's a special experience. Special experience. Yeah. Was there uh, – 
Like, did when I went to the Dudley Hewitt, they brought in like special guests to talk and stuff. I assume in a tournament like that, did they did they have like a banquet and everything where you got to kind of I don't know hang around as a team and then they bring in a speaker or anything like that? Well, I you have your awards. I mean, there's the 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 opening banquet, I guess, where you're all Canadians are announced yep. and and coach of the year and player of the year and that sort of thing. And and there would have been a guest speaker, Sean, but I just uh, I can't recall who that was. But a nice evening and a meal and and uh, you know a, a real nice event. What was the party like after you guys won that? It was pretty good. Did did you guys you guys would have flown there? Yeah, I assume. Yeah. So did you fly? Did you spend the night in Toronto? Spent the night in Toronto and back home the next day. Yeah, <laughs> a little uh, red-eyed, I would assume. Yeah. Was, oh yeah, long time ago, but it was lots of fun. And Acadia is a small enough town, sort of like what the Prince Albert, where Collins' son has just won a yeah. The uh, with the PA Raiders just won the uh, Western League Championship, and how PA or those smaller towns embrace their team. Oh yeah. Um, and the experience they're having there, it was similar for us because it was a, a the the town doubled when university was in session. There's about 3,500 population of Wolfville, and it doubled to when university was in. So small town experience, and when you're winning, people seem to get behind any team, and and uh, so we we were as a sellout every game, and what, uh, needed that really, you know, it was a great support back home too after winning. What uh, what would be a sellout? How many people? What, like how big was your rink? It was a brand new rink, uh, Olympic size ice. So that was oh, yeah. you know a cool feature. Yeah. And certainly a team built for that size of rink with with uh, speed and um, it uh, it seated twenty five hundred people. Oh, yeah. How how was that playing in front of twenty five hundred? You know, special. It, yeah. Yeah. Because I mean. I could be wrong. I mean, there's probably a few times under the Kings where you guys got that many, probably the Allen Cups, for instance, that kind of thing. But I would assume that you guys didn't get 2,500 people every night. No, I, I mean, uh, most nights uh, it was 100 people. That's the, right. But we did play provincial games and, and uh, Allen Cup games where the old Civic Center was, was jammed. Packed. And it was before renovation, so I think it was like 2,700 in there. And Yeah, those are special moments. Uh, well, this year we went... Uh, in playoffs, we got to play in Metal Lake. In Metal Lake, I don't know how many people were there. Let's call it a thousand or seven hundred fifty, but it felt like five grand, right? Like mm-hmm. when you when you play in front of two hundred people, or a hundred people, or fifty people, or you get a slow clap when you come on the ice, right? To go and do something like that and play a good hockey team on top of it, right? Like that's yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah. And those days are few and far between mm-hmm. when you're when you're playing sask elton yeah you have to cherish them because yeah Yeah, absolutely no matter the capacity of the building if it's if it's full filled with people and you know uh the hillmond arena when when the rink's full and it it, there's not a lot of seating there but uh, when it's full you feel it and it it's the environment is just intoxicated yeah yeah it's it's uh fun (laughs) especially those rinks where you're close to the to the play or to the fans or close to the ice surface it sure livens everything up like sas place is a dead rink it it really takes a crowd there to be exciting so is that well well let's flip to you merv so you go from playing as a 15 year old midget so what happens after 15 do you stay playing midget uh no that was the only year midget to end up making the blazers that year i had a good uh camp with the blades and then thought i was coming back to midget and 
Willard Condro called me uh, several days after his home and said, aren't you coming out to try out Junior A? And and so uh, went and tried out there. And I think uh, what kind of made it for me is uh, we went up to preseason in Fort McMurray and a, a big fella started acting up and calling our bench on. And I was green. I didn't even occur to me that he was coming after me. And we dropped the puck and he run at me and I happened to get the better of him. And I kind of think that... Uh, showed I was capable of playing with the older boys and so made the team When you say that. you got the better of them, do you mean you dropped the mitts or you laid them out? No, we fought, yeah. And I, I mean, that was my first uh, junior fight, I guess, and nervous, but it all happened quick and it, it went okay. So it <laughs> kind of showed you were able to, to handle yourself and play. And in those days, it was a big part of it. I mean, if you, if you were not capable of handling yourself like that, you needed another year or two before you could play in the league. Oh, God. First fight. Mer- uh, Morgan, did you ever have a first fight back in junior at all? Playing in the the band that you must have. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I guess probably Vegreville was my, f- was my first one, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Is that Gable House and you got a concussion? <laughs> we fought three times and <laughs> the concussion came in the you. blazer camp and he fell on you one time and in uh, yeah at the at the camp in lloyd and spent the rest you of the can night tell throwing up shut up you know? <laughs> just leave that one alone <laughs> <laughs> that's all right uh, one of my fights in junior i got my nose turned sideways by a guy who was a I, he was my size i thought i was in all right i got this guy right my size i've been fighting a bunch of bigger guys well that doesn't say much most guys are bigger but i've been fighting a bunch of guys who are over six feet and that gets old real quick i fought this guy who was five nine so a little taller than me and i lined up and i was ready to go i hit him with like two good ones and then he switched and he was a southpaw and after that i couldn't i just my brain wouldn't compute and he must have smacked me with about four good ones and down <laughs> i went so fighting is i mean i was talking with shanker when he was on fighting some guys just have a real knack for it and they and find it out real quick that they can handle it and some well, i was never great at it i was never opposed to it but at the same time if i had the choice there's no point in me going because i wasn't a great fighter by any stretch of the imagination yeah so you mentioned there merv you said blades does that mean you went and tried out for the saskatoon blades yeah yeah that uh that year i wasn't listed with anybody those were the days where you just put on a list and i wasn't listed with anyone and that was kind of always the spot i wanted to go i knew i wasn't making it as a 16 year old uh richard mapfichuk was a, a given that year and uh, another big guy, Mark Rader. So knew that those were the two 16-year-old defensemen that were going to get the look. And uh, But it was good development. I'd also been fortunate enough to go to Alberta Development Camp that summer. And uh, so it was a week in Calgary with the likes of Dave King and Gord Galley. And, uh, yeah, I can't even name all the uh, – Bob Lokes was coaching Lethbridge. So all those guys – uh, spending a full week with you and, and I'd never been any part of anything like that but that that was huge in, in my development and uh, I certainly didn't make Team Pacific I was nowhere near the top three that was Matt Fichuk and uh, Brent Bilodeau and a Darcy Ranka Jason Smith didn't make that team either but um, it was certainly outstanding for one's development for sure Jason Smith geez there's a name I recognize mm-hmm <laughs> He had a heck of a career. And battled, just like uh, Matt Fichuk, too, they, those guys. Uh, Who did Matt Fichuk play for? 
or Dave? Minnesota and then Dallas. And then one, one in Dallas. That's yeah. right. Yeah. 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 I do remember that. Fort Saskatchewan. Yeah. He lived in Lloyd as a 15 year old and, and then to the So place. was he a Lloyd yeah. boy then? Fort Saskatchewan, but his dad, I think. Building the upgrader. The upgrader. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's cool. So how was your first year then for the Blazers? Oh, great. Um, yeah. Bob Deschamps was our coach to start with. He'd coached it the year before. Um, but I, I don't really know what happened. He didn't get let go. He just had had enough. Uh, so Wayne Prestige uh, took over. He was an assistant coach. Um, and Cal McDonald uh, was a former player and took over. And, and no, We had a, a, a really good run. We ended up taking out uh, the number one team in the north, Fort Saskatchewan. Of that series, we won in double overtime game seven. Three of our wins were in double overtime. The other one, Jim Bourne, scored with like two seconds left in the clock. So it was as uh, amazing a series you ever could be involved in. And then we lost game seven of the north to Sherwood Park 2 nothing in front of 2,700 in the Civic Centre. It was a low, but it was quite a year and uh, an amazing experience. There's a name that got said on the podcast a while ago. It was Jim Bourne. Yeah. being an exceptional hockey player. Yeah. And was he? Uh, who's uh, was that, that Parallax? Was ba- no, that was Bucky's. Bucky. Yeah. yeah. No, when you asked about uh, best players we ever played with, I, um, Jim was a... a Maybe not as skilled as some, but he was as responsible. He he was always presented to you with a stick on the ice and eye contact ready for an option. He was just always there. He was one of the few centermen that you always knew where he'd be. He was always covering and and a good talent offensively too, but he just he thought the game really well. An exceptional mind for, for sports, like playing pool or golf. Jim just could figure it out. Yeah. So, how many years do you play for the the Blazers then? Or, I played uh, three. You played three. Yeah. And so you, you went and tried out for the Blades one year. Then you come back. You played Blazers. So the next year, do you go back to the Blades? Well, that uh, no, that first year I had with the Blazers was pretty good year. So I got listed with Tri City uh, that year. Um, I remember I was still a kid, so how excited I was! I got it for my birthday. Got sent up. Uh, box of jerseys and everything and morgan had picked it up and he already had his new t-shirt on <laughs> the deal and so i was set to finish the year out with them um as soon as our season was ended the they had to try city yeah to finish the season with them and they end up losing out the same night we lost out by going oh, those two rounds which was tough. it was fine it, it just it, it changes your path in life you, yeah absolutely. you don't know where that would have taken you um so I went to camp, uh, and Bill LaForge was the coach. And so if you're you're maybe too young to remember that name, but uh, that was, well, he an example, he got uh, fined and removed from that team because he had them all uh, sticking their screws out of their helmets. So when you fought, you'd cut your hands on their helmet. And that was the sort of things that uh, Bill had pulled. So um, end up, uh, I didn't make out well with him got released and and so i got several invites to several camps um but I, saskatoon was where i wanted to go so i replied to them i'd come and everywhere else no so uh two days before to head to camp brandon listed me and and got me to come there and so then i yeah i went down there and tried out and and stuck to start with anyway and the rest of the story is i was just so bloody homesick that uh um, I hung in there for I think about four days 
finally moved out of the hotel. I was living with uh, Ted Flurry, Theron's brother, and uh, moved out of the hotel and got in with my billets and got there and it just, I, I don't want to do this, I want to go home. So called up uh, Kelly McCrinnon and said I, I can't do her. I'd had a meeting with him the day before and said I couldn't. And he talked me into hanging in for one game, which yeah. would have been against Ken Staniforth and Moose Jaw. That would oh, be, yeah. <laughs> maybe a good one to miss. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so he said, yeah, I'll have somebody meet you at the rink and get your gear. And felt better the instant I got in my truck and started for home. Yeah. I, and again, uh, it just uh, life's different paths. Eh? You don't know what would have been if you'd have done something different. My first year in, uh, when I went out and tried it, and, well, I had I, two. I, I get the wanting to get home. Uh, when I was, when I would have been 14 or 15, first year midget, so 15, I went and tried out in Strathcona. And I wanted to make the team, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm a competitor, but I was happy to come home. Yeah. And then when I was 17, my last year of uh, high school, I went and tried out in the Ronge, and I stuck there a month. And a month of being away from family and friends and them talking about you starting a new high school and everything started to weigh on my mind. And I remember it was tougher and tougher to go to the rink. And when I – that and that was Larry. That was the guy I ended up playing for him, him being uh, my favorite coach to play for, right? When I had him on the podcast, we talked a little bit about it, right? And he – I don't know if he he must have known right like a coach has that intuition i'm sure you two can agree or talk to that right when you can see a player uh going maybe through the motions somewhat but when he let me go and talk to me about you know you come back next year when you're ready and i am sure it was something along the lines of when you're ready um i think he knew i was ready to go home and when i went home and got back into high school and everything felt comfortable uh, I admire the kids that can walk away from or be 14 like Dwayne Perlet who was on here a couple weeks ago or uh, a Crookshank at 15 and they move away from home and start playing competitive hockey like I know that's a lot of kids dreams but to actually go out and do it mm-hmm. is a tough thing to do yeah real tough fully agreed so you go from junior A then you start playing you get picked up by the Huskies yeah I'd had two years of uh, junior eligibility left um but my group of buddies, uh, uh, Dallas Ferguson was headed for Alaska, and uh, Terry Lorenz was getting a scholarship. It just in some of the twenty-year-old guys, and I don't. I just three years, and I thought if I'm ever going to get an education, I better go now. If I played another two years of junior, I'm sure I would be just headed straight for the farm. So, um, Larry Sauer, I guess, was kind of my original connection to Larry to Sauer. get to U of S. Um, <laughs> Uh, they had an intern coach at the time, Bill Seymour. So I, I went in as a uh, a real unknown coming from the Alberta League, 18-year-old uh, still. Um, Brent McEwen had taken over, had come back from his hiatus and taken back over. So um, nine defensemen in camp, but I was fortunate enough. Or nine they kept. There yeah. was nine of us. Uh, fortunate enough to be one of them. and. And my first half, I think I played one game out of 12. But <laughs> So not a great start, but uh, found my way in and really enjoyed my experience there. And didn't you mark on your paper that you're the youngest captain in U of S history? Yeah, and that was an honor for me. Uh, my third year, so I was 21 then, I guess. And that's when most kids start coming to U of S. Oh, yeah, I guess, U yeah. Everybody yeah, that makes sense. finishes their 20-year-old year out and then comes there. Um, but it... it was already my third year so 
That's pretty cool, though, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Well, lots of history in that program, and absolutely, like yeah. that's mm-hmm. it's a program to go play for. I mean, yeah. uh, how did you guys like do in your seasons there? Were you ever, you know, uh, like um, my first year, we were ranked number one in the country ahead of Acadia at one point, um, but then we run up against U of A in the finals. Was Morg playing for Acadia? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Were you but texting was, each other? Well, going, we were. Hey, I mean, that would have been pretty cool to to meet to meet yeah. there yeah 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 it was and i mean not not to the same degree but Corey cross was playing with u of a at the time oh wow so yeah so two of the three years we would meet meet up with uh with u of a and and so that was fun for for us yeah absolutely yeah i guess you weren't texting each other because that no wasn't no available no such thing time, yeah right? yeah we sent the VHS tapes of our series against U of A out to his coaches. Oh, really? <laughs> that, that goes back to those days. Yeah. Yeah. Man, kids don't even know what a VHS no. is anymore. <laughs> no. Okay, we're going to take a two-minute and 56-second break because I want to watch the end of the Carolina game. I can see it going on. It's 2-1 <laughs> right now. So when we come back on, we'll have the update of uh, who won. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. So we're back, folks. Uh Carolina didn't pull it out. I thought uh, Don Cherry told me there was no way Boston was winning that game. He thought Carolina was pumped up and they were going to win it. So mm. didn't look like they uh, they couldn't get the puck in the end to even have a shot at the last minute. So maybe you, we're, maybe wearing out a little bit. Yeah, you think so? Well, they sure play. I mean, they're they're a real pressure team, and they've been successful thus far with that kind of a of a game. But it looks to me like maybe it's they're wearing out yeah well and they're coming up against a very good boston team we were just talking about it right like they're a well-rounded team they they got guys who won it before they got a lot of youth coming up very talented youth yeah no a nice mean, balance as much as i dislike marshawn from time to time he still is a guy who can put the puck in the net not to mention pasternak right like they got some guys who can mm-hmm. really go every Speaking team of, would probably want him. yeah <laughs> absolutely right? yeah yeah. Yeah. Speaking of guys you could really go, let's go back to your U of S here, Merv. You were talking, you were telling me that you guys went over to Sweden and one other country. And Norway. So that, yeah, that, I think that was 95 because um, the uh, Olympics in Lillehammer had ended the year before. So a lot of our residence was through Hammer and uh, Lillehammer was staying in uh, Olympic Village, former former Olympic Village. So. And uh, the rink we played in over there was uh, where they featured the Olympics and was an underground rink. It was really built in the side of a mountain. Yeah, quite an experience too. And so when you went over to these countries, like, were you playing just exhibition games or were you playing uh, uh, national teams? Or who, who were you playing while you were over there? Right. We played elite uh, division, which was too good for us. So, um, like, Glenn Gullitson had been gone over there that summer and was playing in the elite division and we played them and and i think we were like a five nothing loser um they were a little too much for us um then we played some division one in sweden and we were close to them and then when we went to uh, norway we played division one there and we were right with them but that was seven games in 14 days off the start of our season so by the end of that we'd had her And, and we were trying to experience everything while we're there too so yeah busy busy days yeah yeah Yeah. 
our our former coach Brent McEwen had moved over there to to coach. He'd taken Gulletson with him, so uh, th- that's how we got this trip lined up. And yeah, it was a heck of an experience for us. No kidding. Uh, you got to experience the the European fan then too. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any memorable? Uh, well, lots of little things that stood out. One was uh, like their crowds never quit singing the whole time. Yeah, uh, it was their exhibition as well, so they were dressing five lines. Four would play, and one would take their skates off and go outside and play soccer for that period, and then they'd roll another one in. I thought it was neat. Um, yeah, see, lots of different stuff. Hit the bar in uh, Oslo when we were finishing up, and. Uh, and I remember I buying a round, round of beer there, and it was like 800 bucks or something like that. And it's like, ooh, that's the last time I'm doing that one. <laughs> quite an experience in itself. Yeah, the yearling they... market wasn't quite as hot then either, Tiger. No. <laughs> Hard up school kids, and we were trying to afford to have beer. <laughs> did, uh, did I think it's a new thing. They didn't have the gold helmets back then, did they? No, not... Uh, Neither, you know what I'm talking about, boys? Did. Yeah, mm-hmm. top scorer, right? Yeah, yeah. So when I was over there, they had the gold helmet for the top scorer. It was quite a thing to watch. I was, yeah. To the games, and I'd be like, well, that's a unique idea, at mm-hmm. least, right? But uh, I was talking about with Shanker, right? Kirk Shank. I was like, he, well, he was saying, he's like, as a top scorer, the last thing you want is a big target on no. your head. Yeah. Right? yeah. And that gold helmet, let me tell you, it sticks out. It would. Yeah, but it's cool as a fan, right? You get to, oh, there he is. Right, yeah. right there, right? Yeah. He doesn't disappear for you. I remember back in our day, they try and switch numbers on the top score, maybe wear a different jersey the odd game just to try and mess somebody up. And then you go to Europe, and they're sticking a gold helmet on them. That's <laughs> a different deal there. How the heck would that work? You didn't have name bars on your jerseys? Yeah, and I forget. I think it was Olds or somebody that had always played some mind games like that, and they'd let on the jersey had been ripped or something like that. and. And you'd come out in their top score and have a different jersey. And I don't think it ever had any effect, but still had you thinking about it, I guess. So Sneaky. <laughs> oh, the little game within the games when it comes to mm-hmm. hockey and playoffs specifically, when the games matter the yeah. most. Mm-hmm. You pull out all the tricks. Exactly. Speaking of which, what's the best trick you guys have pulled out of your books in your coaching careers then? <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> I know we've practiced the old yeah. uh, Team Canada uh, face-off in your own end, uh, have the winger go in the box. Go in and, the box and pop out the other end? I've never had it work. Never had it work? <laughs> it did once in, uh, in with the Border Kings and Kent Stanforth, but uh, as far as me coaching, not once has that worked. I don't think we've ever got the change completed even. <laughs> so I hate to waste too much time on some of them anymore. You know... It's not a hockey story. Uh, I used to play fastball, windmill or whatever you want to call it, slow pitch, or not slow pitch, fast pitch. And we were in Westerns. I forget who the coaches were, but I learned afterwards it was called the Saskatoon Shuffler. At least that's what we nicknamed it. And so you have a guy on first and third. And the guy from first acts like he's stealing second and falls, trips. And then when he gets up, he acts like he's going to go back to first. And so what happens is is the catcher throws it back to first, and then the guy from third runs home. Meanwhile, the guy that tripped doesn't turn around and go to first. He keeps running, ends up making it third. <laughs> and 
maybe the reason it was so successful in Western sports is the only guys he told our coaches were the two guys on base. So the two guys on base had practiced it because they were following each other in the lineup. So they knew about it. So when he gave the signal, whatever signal it was, they knew about the Saskatoon shuffles on. But the entire bench didn't. So when he tripped and fell, we lost our minds on the bench. Like, get back! What are you doing? And then he keeps running, and we got it home, and we're all screaming because nobody knows what the heck's going on. The ball worked, and it worked like a charm. Who was your coach? I think it was uh, Harvey. Uh, no, not Harvey. No, I think it was Harvey. Jim Harvey. Jim Harvey. Ball yeah. Around yeah. Like yeah. Years, sure. yeah. 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 Yeah, that was that was something to behold as a young hmm. kid. Because well, and then when they got back in, they were all laughing because they knew what was going on, and the rest of us had no clue. Yeah, that's right? a good one. And to pull it off at the Western Championships, right? Like no in a kidding. game, like and to get it to work, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's a pretty ballsy coaching uh, <laughs> maneuver. And Never did pulled... it bring success in the end? Well, get we ended up win. I've been to three Western Championships, and that was one of the year we won. So mm. yeah, neat. Yeah. yeah, you never pull anything like that more. Not that elaborate, no. <laughs> we had uh, I had Larry uh, Wintoniak on here uh, a few weekends ago, and he talked about a couple different ones, like when you run out of timeouts, having the trainer having change in his pocket. Mm-hmm. So he'd throw change, get him to throw change on the ice, and then the coach would yell at the people in the stands, and then the ref would have to come pick it up and then buy you time so you could call your bench over to have right. a yeah. quick little breather, right? Yeah. And, and little things like that or they had a broken stick where they'd saw it down and uh, so that the goalie could break his stick and have to come get a new stick and stuff. Like, just weird things. Yeah, that, yeah. You only think about if you coach enough hockey, I assume. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, probably less and less of that today. I would think so. Yeah. yeah. I, I, there's probably more of that uh, in the past. <laughs> Going back to the BW rig general days, are those some of the stunts? Yeah, like some that. of the yeah. So after antics. you play CIS and you play, well, CIS, I guess, actually, you both yep. played, right? Do either of you think of going and playing like pro or do you both just come right back to Lloyd? Well, Merv, yeah, you, yeah, I, I mean, I you guess, are going to uh, come home. I finished first and, uh, um, I thought uh, all along I was probably coming home, but then I entertained uh, um, some options to go to Birmingham, Alabama, uh, w- with Colin Greger, I guess, was my connection there. And then Oklahoma was Doug Sauter that uh, had originally had me and Regina and Brandon at one time, and, and George DuPont was there. So I, I looked at those two places and thought real hard about it. My idea was... Uh, give it a year and try and get up to the international or the American league. And if it didn't work out, then that, then it would be good. And, and I thought real hard about going two more years with U of S. Um, I, I had player eligibility, but I had my, uh, diploma already. So I thought a lot that summer and then it was just, no, it's time to come home and, and get to work. So, um, then it, it was a good choice, but certainly entertained the idea for a while. And for me, Sean, after uh, my three years of an arts degree at out east in Acadia, I came back to U of S and hoping to play a year with Merv. He still had one more year left. And at that time, there was a rule that even if you finished your degree at a, at uh, a university or whatever institution you were at, you couldn't go and just jump on to the into athletics at that university. Uh, I appealed that, and on that precedent, it actually the rule is now different that if you could now go from 
if you finish your degree at U of S, you can go to U of A if you're going into a different program and go right into using oh, yeah. your eligibility for athletics right away. So oh, wow. we missed out on it because we were really hoping to have a year together, um, but that didn't work out. Um, and then after... Um, so you ended up going to U of S? Then, to huh? get my education degree after getting my arts degree. And so I did two years at U of S and, and could have then maybe played the next year and, and conversations with and Merv's coach at the time. That was his... Dave Adolph, Merv's, uh, was that your second year? Serving coach in, uh, in, in CIS, CIS sports. Really? Yeah. Still so at he's, it. yeah. And so, um, but then all that was the first year of the Border Kings, um, in my last year of university, where a bunch of Merv and a bunch of really close friends were kind of all coming back and, and ready to get going with senior hockey in Lloyd. And so, that was pretty attractive, and so I traveled from Saskatoon. from Saskatoon that winter. But I did a month of hockey schools and training with uh, the Oklahoma City Blazers, and that was I had an opportunity to play a season with them. But I got a contract to start teaching school in in Onion Lake at the same time, and so Dad always gives pretty good advice. He f- he thought it was probably time to get on with things and <laughs> take the job in Onion Lake, and and that's worked out well. Well, absolutely. I mean, yeah. nobody can argue with uh, the choices you guys have made, right? No, it's like Merv said earlier. It's uh, those are the choices you make along the way, and whatever you do for anybody, and you make them, and you move on. Would have been cool to have played a little bit of pro. I, I, I'm saying that every guy that I have in here who's played pro have stories that make you shake your head and go, "Why do we? Why do we even try and play those minor leagues?" Right? Because they come with job insecurity, big time, and like. Well, Crookshank talked about having a hard time getting paychecks half the time, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Colin, uh, Colin Spencer, who was on here last week, talked about going to, I forget what, what uh, town it was, but he, uh, he and two or three other guys were living in horse stables <laughs> and like just like sketchy situations, right, to try and chase playing a little bit of pro hockey, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. so you never know, you might have dodged a huge bullet. Yeah, you you never know what you're getting into. It's uh, anything's what you make of it. That's Oklahoma true. was a pretty unique situation where that was. I mean, afterwards they got the NBA team, the Thunder, yeah. but at the time that was the big ticket in town, and they they sold out every game. Uh, real strong team, and I really liked the liked Oklahoma as a Oklahoma City as a city. It uh, very western and. Got out to the lazy ranch a little bit and some, some of the events maybe. there. Yeah, it's just <laughs> their coach was tied in with Express Ranches too. That's uh, so if you like, like the Western way of life, it yeah, was a real great, real good dollar. spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! So when you come back to the Kings, what year is that? Do you remember? Ninety-five, 96 was our first year. Oh, so it takes several years then to get to where you're going in the Allen Cup. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, our first one was in 99, so three years and uh, four year, or fourth year we'd have made it, yeah. yeah. But eight of us, I think, if I remember right, joined uh, the Kings that year, so we had a great veteran group of guys around. Uh, plus could a, you rattle off the eight? I'm curious. Oh, Ray Nielsen, Morgan I, Warren Noble, Jason Plandowski. Tyler uh, Scott. Dion uh, Pollard and Rob, or uh, Dion and Mike Rob, German had gone the year before. Rob Quist, Jeremy Plamondon. Yeah, that's probably eight there. Oh uh, wow! Getting, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, Kevin Lane. 
Yeah. You know, it's funny. I yeah. just, a lot of those guys, I see, well, I see them on a, I, I, I always think of Warren Noble. I didn't realize Warren played as good as hockey as he did. But he actually played really good hockey and won some championships too. Yeah, and he can mm-hmm. scrap too. He was that uh, doesn't surprise me. Yeah, yeah. Speaking no about earlier, the art of learning how to fight on the ice. I mean, Warren figured that out. He was at an early age. He was an exceptional. Yeah. Yeah. At, at it, yeah. So, what league were you guys playing in at that time? Big Four. Big Four, I guess, uh, when we first started, and then our next year we didn't even have a league, and uh, that was the year Corey and some come, and we. I think we had like eight games. So, I mean, Lloyd's always been um, too big for where it's situated. Oh, it's no. hard to find yeah. a that, team that to goes play. That goes all the way through minor hockey yeah. even, right? Like yeah. I talk lots about the Rammel, the rural Alberta Midget Hockey League, where you drive to Fort Mac and uh, Grand Prairie, Fort St. John, all oh, the list goes on how mm-hmm. long our road trips were, right? Yeah. And that's just Lloyd where it's situated. You're, yeah, you're, yeah. You're too far from the Saskatoon Reginas of the world, and you're too far from the Edmonton Red Deers of the world. Or mm-hmm. so it seems, right? They have their tight little net, so you. They don't being, need you. They don't want right. to come. No, that's uh, right. Yeah, the so wild it's goose. Always a battle. The wild goose league we were in was was ex, was a a really good uh, situation for the Border Kings because um, the teams in the league that were close enough to Saskatoon. Would off you know they they had the advantage of getting guys coming out of there and Battleford's comparable uh, to size and the players they had like we through those years it was um, that was, was good. It, who was all in that league? Like Unity, Crawbert, Kindersley, yeah, uh, Eston, ourselves, Saskia Bigger, Eston, yeah, yeah, some good teams then. Yeah, really, yeah. yeah. And those smaller towns were paying some money and and hiring a bus load out of Saskatoon or a van load out of Saskatoon, so. Made, yeah, it was a good parody, good league. Yeah. So the big four, I mean, that first year and talking about um, exceptional years, that that was one of my favorites, just coming back and getting to know some of the older guys in the that we kind of looked up to growing up and yeah. uh, playing with the Lancers and the Border Kings, probably seven, eight years older than us or more, and have, you know, now your teammates. And so... At that time, we had just a little small bus called Big Red, and we're, or was it Big Red? It was Big Red. Big yeah. Red. Yeah. And uh, you know, now when you travel on buses, there's the TVs, and the kids watch movies in the high seats, and nobody talks or on their phones. But on this bus, it was like two big uh, areas for that uh, were converted into card tables, and so the the fellowship on that bus, I mean, was exceptional. And that was part of, I mean, we just, it was a special year, the fun we had. And we're all about the same age that it, we're still pretty active with being social. And it was, that was a great year. We had two guys that would step up and drive the bus, Milt Kay and uh, Jim McGarry. Like, uh, you know, when I'm 60, I can't see driving a, a busload of guys to, to Metal Lake on a Tuesday night in 40 below weather on an old school bus. But that, that mm-hmm. was just, uh, it, it was a special group, and, and we had so much fun. I remember we stalled the bus at the Maqua turn. We got off to take a leak, and uh, 30 below. So lots of us had skidoo suits, but it stalled. We thought, oh, no, we're stuck here at 1 in the morning. And so Dean Robertson was the handiest with the engine. He's riding on the, the front bumper, choking uh, a big red, <laughs> and the other 20 of us are pushing the bus and, and jumping into it. gear. and. 
away she goes in the big holler and away we go again so those are the great memories of playing and, uh, and those i mean that that's a sport isn't it or why we what we look back and realize hockey and any sport is about that those memories and those experiences and the friends and the fellowship it's you 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 don't remember many of your wins and losses through the season but the experiences as a team and it's important to teach her you know when you're coaching now you try and message that to to kids and it really is what it's all about yeah well you talk to i talk to dad specifically right dad's in his 60s now but he plays with the never sweats from time to time or they got the um over 60 skates on tuesday thursday mornings i think so he gets up with gord and uh, i think des mcmillan and guys like that and uh they all talk about you know like they like being in the dressing room Mm -hmm. that's the experience they they love the most and that's the friendships and the camaraderie and sitting and having the talk it's not so much about the game don't get me wrong they want to play but they want to be around the guys they want to be around the boys they want to yeah. want to hang out and and relive and experience that thing and yeah that's i mean i i asked the brothers at one point in time why they retired and i still i'm still holding on i'm only i'm only 33 by no means am i old but i'm getting closer mm-hmm. closer imagine closer as brew tells me he's got seven more years than you at least <laughs> and i laugh at him but i'm like yeah i i don't want to quit like i i definitely do not right because mm-hmm. i enjoy it way too much i am way i enjoy that dressing room atmosphere way too much and i know when you're done with it it changes Mm -hmm. now you guys are on the coaching side of it and i assume it has its perks and but the the playing days are something you just can never get back no they're pretty special i think you find a time like you knew you uh, you love coming to practice still um but you'd had enough of of battling and and traveling to games on a wednesday night and Mm -hmm. um some injuries take its toll and I, I know my last year I just it was great loved it but I also knew it was time I didn't want to have to give that much anymore to it and you know in my time at Hillmont which is I think this is I think I'm going on in season nine you two yahoos are the only two guys I couldn't convince to come play that's the <laughs> truth and I had you like that close I had Ramona saying yes <laughs> I had Morg tell me he'd come play if you played so Merv that's all on you yeah Oh, I, I and uh, I think I had a year or two off in between, and then I knew I was past it uh, of being able. to You keep say up you're and past it, I and then I play in a Dusty Man tournament, <laughs> and you guys are uh, well. You look like you're both 22 out there. Yeah, right. That's gone by in a hurry. Yeah. If I'm, um, especially with Brew, I'd always thought that it would be fun. Really, you talk about uh, Jay wanting to play one game. Yeah. With the Hitman, and I thought a season or even one game or. To play a game with Brew would be something I'd always wanted to do and told him I'd like to do that. But, and I mean, more than just Brew, like uh, knowing you growing up and well, and his friends and the crew, like, oh, at 47, <laughs> hey, that, we that's could, done. We, could, we played uh, Wilkie uh, two years ago in Saskate Provincials, and there was a guy who suited up who was 40. Martin, Martin Smith. Smith. Yeah. yeah. We, Martin played, he played with the Border Kings for a time. Well, and there you go. It's only one game, guys. He he is a, extra, hey? a fanatic with fitness. All the listeners and, are on edge yeah, right now because yeah, I'm yeah. putting you on the spot, <laughs> right. eh? No. <laughs> no, no, no. To clean it's the harder ice. to go to rec hockey some nights now, let alone to go back to... I think the biggest part for us, too, and the, and what was the, the great thing about the Border Kings is we were never half in. 
Um, yeah. That, you know, if we we're going to play, you were going to make everything and that come at a, a cost to the family once in a while or, or things that you would like to do. Um, but we never missed practice. We never missed a game. And that core group was like that. And that's why it was so successful and so much fun. Mm-hmm. But it also doesn't lend yourself to, to saying, yeah, I'll come to the Hitmen and join you in January or, or I'll come every second no. week. And or, I, yeah, that, that's how I am. Because it, it doesn't work. No, and I, I know that mindset. That's where my problem is, right? And I like, if I'm going to do something, let's do it 100%. It makes it enjoyable. Yeah. 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 One, and if you're a guy who's bought in 100% and you got a group of, like you say, eight or ten guys the same way, you pull everybody else along that way. For yeah. sure. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So your fourth year then, you go to your first Allen Cup in 99? 99 in Stony Plain, yeah. So you guys go 99, 2000, 2001? Yeah. So 99, it's in Stony Plain. They host. Yeah. So did you guys host the Saskatchewan then in 2000? Yeah. Okay, so 99, you guys win Saskatchewan to go to the Allen Cup? To go to the first yeah, one, we yeah. beat out uh, PA, I would say. And the only reason I'm bringing uh, this up, and I may it make year? it uh, sound confusing, is the Border Kings bounce from Alberta to Saskatchewan back and forth. Never, For, never, never during no. Never in your time, we you're always Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And to get to, to the Allen Cup, you, you had to get through Saskatchewan and then win the Manitoba series. And in our early years... The class of senior hockey in Canada was actually War Road, Minnesota. And Marvin Windows sponsored that team, and so they're all college players. And our our first win of, of winning provincials in Saskatchewan took us down to War Road as the Manitoba rep. And that was a real uh, eye-opener. Just so, I mean, they played on Olympic ice as well. And, and was and, a, yeah, like it was run like a, almost like, like a, a pro team. team program. Yeah. It was amazing. Guys were there. They weren't. They weren't uh, going to day jobs. They were. Their job was. Marvin Windows would bring them in, and it was to be a professional hockey player. So where is this? War Road, Road Minnesota. Minnesota. Yeah. Minnesota. Yeah. Minnesota. Minnesota was the Manitoba rep. Yeah. yeah. That time they allowed War Road to they, compete they for the Allen, Allen Cup. Cup three years in a row, I believe. Yeah. They won it uh, that very first year. They come up to. Uh, to Unity, who we'd beat out. That's who hosted. Unity hosted? Unity hosted. The Allen Cup? Allen Cup was a tough sell. Like, uh, I would say the Lloyd crew put it back on the board in 2000 that Stony Plain had hosted several years. It was just a hockey tournament. And then when it come to Lloyd, it was like you talked about the, the banquets and the and the fan support. And and it made money. I mean, it, it no supported kidding. our team for years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry to bounce around a little bit, but you guys yeah. are just War Road, Minnesota playing in, and then Unity. Oh, that's something else. Okay, yeah. so you go to War Road to play a Minnesota team to see if you can go to the Allen Cup. Yeah. Okay, just so I got that clear. And so that was our first year, Yeah. wasn't it? And yeah. so we'd had a great run and an emotional win to win Saskatchewan where uh, one of our teammates had lost his lost his dad just before our final game and and that was against uh Crawbert. Crawbert, which really had as far as senior hockey goes as good a senior hockey player in Saskatchewan Dave Morrell played there and uh they had a real Tim Willoughby was uh, equally uh, as good they yeah, were so real strong team talented. went Paul to Brisebois, went to game Murphys. five and yeah. um yeah so went back there for game five and won it so 
Old Red was rocking on the way home. <laughs> I remember Jack from J&M Embroidery. Uh, he, he was celebrating with us like he'd won, that, won it too. He was so happy. That, that That's how the team was received. And He walked in our room with 48 beer and we, we did it in <laughs> a few words and and uh, yeah, it was that was as uh, big a win for us as what the Allen Cups went on to. That was fantastic experience. But then going to War Road, we were oh, it was class. another level. Yeah. I want to get to some of the shenanigans that happened at War Road. I heard some stories of the hotel room shenanigans of uh, leaners and possibly putting a. <laughs> piece of plywood up again i guess the hotel was under construction taking a piece of plywood and putting it across the guy's door so they couldn't get out in the morning that'd be mostly mervs antics he uh, yeah <laughs> if the listeners yeah. haven't figured out by now yeah not who at the all. prankster is <laughs> they talked about morg being the glue with acadia and that's exactly what he was of uh thinking him as a coach now and everything's got to be just right and you, you got to be paying attention and and we used to say to morg five minutes we're on oh let me know when she's two boys and he hadn't even started getting ready yet and yet he'd be the first one out of the room it was so frustrating like that um but those were the things that kept a kind of a room light and 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 not uh, keyed up about the game and and it takes all kinds in a dressing room and those are you know some of the things that add to it and so those same uh pranks were played uh, toothpaste in the earphone of the of the hotel phone or leaners on the door or, yeah i can't all the things explain explain happen. i'm pretty sure you know and i come from a time of leaner so i like to think everybody knows what a leaner is but maybe just explain what a leaner is filling up your garbage can from your hotel room at half full of water or full of water and leaning it up against the door and knocking knock on the door and run and and, uh, and they open it up to wet feet that's basically it is maybe one of the most frustrating things in the world to open your door up and just be like ah man right yeah think of it now when we think you think at that age those 20 years old we should have been past that yeah you're not past that no no you're right in the middle of it yeah yeah i think the plywood story is just hilarious was that with uh with i think mars mars and and Bucky. bucky were rooming together and we convinced the hotel uh chambermaid to that was our room we needed a key to get in and we took out his yeah his uh, mattresses and bedding and and uh left him <laughs> with just a sheet of plywood to sleep on it. well the way yeah, mr. all in good fun <laughs> mr dallin talks about it is you 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 took their their mattresses out put them on your bed and then they went back and mars was so stinking mad now you got the coach and the GM in your in your room giving you crap, so you take them back, and so you sleep on it. And Corey says he walks out in the morning because you're already gone for coffee or whatever, and he walks out, and he looks over, and there's a sheet of plywood up against the door, and a two by four leaned against the other door, so they can't push it out because it's it's jammed in there. And he can hear him going, "Hey, let us out!" <laughs> and he's going, might, "Might want to say fire hazard." <laughs> <laughs> Now he didn't say specifically it was you. He just he assumed that two and two equals four. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys went in War Road. So then you go to Stony Plain. No, no, that first year we didn't get by War Road. Oh, you didn't get by War no. Road. And so um, we made uh, three trips east and never won a hockey game out there. 
we lost in overtime a game, but never all the times we made it. Even when it was the Manitoba, like yeah. when War Road was out. It was and when Manitoba or, or War Road come here is the only times we were successful. That's uh, tough hockey to, to um, bus, uh, I'm going to say, 26 hours. Uh, play five games in five nights is is what it is. When and you're not conditioned to that. When you're and not NHL conditioned. No, it's uh, really tough. Interesting uh, ones that always stuck out to me. I always uh, mar- marveled at these two big bifuglins that were on War Road. And uh, lot, years later, here comes Dustin Bufflin with, uh, and that is, so it's his uncles we played against all that time. And uh, they were big. They're from boys. and Roanoke, which is just down the ward from War Road, weren't they? The, the, the those boys. those particular boys, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they come up and played in Winnipeg. Like in later years, War Road was done, and it become Isle de Shanes or uh, Grunthal. I think they were at one time out right, there, right? And they came up, yeah. And on the opposite end, I think we'd won every series when we hosted. No, one year. When Gloa and Floon. Oh, we were right at the end. Yeah, yeah, they trimmed us up pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> so, you get, okay, so you, you you make your first Allen Cup appearance then in 2000? 99, yeah. In 99, yeah. 99 in Stony Plain. Yeah. How did you guys do there? Who was, the, who was the team there then in 99 that was the team to, that, well, I guess won it all? Stony won it in the end, uh, and they were... Um, Quarterback by uh, Big Gord Mark out of Irma, who played with uh, with the Oilers. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. And he, I mean, lots of criticism of how he ended in the NHL or his ability, but he was fantastic, big and strong, and moved the puck. And he, he was mean, a good hockey, yeah. mean, really mean. He was a good <laughs> hockey player, though. <laughs> and and uh, lots of theirs were uh, locals. And yeah, we lost in the semis to Powell River, and. Uh, we were a bit awestruck, I think, when it started. I, I know myself that you're kind of happy to be there um, and, and didn't have the week that we'd hoped. But we got into the semis, took a real run at uh, Powell River once we got going, and, and then kind of knew we belonged after that. And so then we hosted the next year. Yeah. you As you know, you have to learn how to win um, and how it all, you know, as – you just don't come out of the gates in first time around in something and it all works out and later on and uh we the midwest islanders and then they got going what were they as with uh, out of paradise hill i guess for the most part at the end yeah but they were the same example of uh it took by the end of their run they were an awful strong team as well and so and it was too much for us too but in just getting started it took them time to figure out um you know what works and how to win and getting the right group of guys and it took time for us to to gel well, yeah just gel, you just don't just go to your first allen cup or and, always brings memories of uh uh it was boys on the bus when gretzky and them were talking about Losing the first cup to the well, Islanders. Seeing the island, what it took to win. Walking and, yeah. by, and they thought they'd be hooting and hollering, and they were all in ice packs. Their yeah. wives were basically yeah. the consoling them, right? Because yeah. they, yeah. they, they'd worked so hard and put themselves through such misery to Absolutely. win, right? And that's when they went, oh, yeah. that's what it takes. I watched your, I mean, the Hitman team with you, Sean, that uh, 
it I mean uh, up into winning your first league championship it prior to that you had teams that were probably just as talented but it took you know it took time to figure out what it takes yeah oh absolutely actually I was curious about uh, how many years it took to get to the A of the Allen Cup and then how many years it took to win it because I was telling Gord when he was on here right like me and Brad Simon sat down and went Okay, if it takes Gord three years to win the Saskelta, it can take you know take mm-hmm. us three or four, and we're okay with that because yeah. I'm, I'm all of us are competitive guys. Yeah. I don't want to lose a year and not learn something from mm-hmm. it. And I want to come back the next year, but it took us. I think it was year four when we finally won. Yeah, right. Yeah. And now we've been on a stretch of making it there, but not finishing the deal, and that's frustrating in its own manner. But mm-hmm. you come up against good hockey teams. That's yeah. what you want. You don't yeah. want to no cakewalk it. Otherwise, it wouldn't mean anything anymore. Right. Exactly. Yeah, so 2000, you guys host then? Yeah, and uh, we uh, we'd lost out to Regina and Provincial, so we had quite a long sit. Um, but then when the tournament come, once we got our feet wet, uh, we played really well. We earned the the direct route to the final, so we had the buy, oh, which man. is a huge advantage in yeah. that. Like you play three and three nights, and and then uh, one team gets a buy. Yeah, and the other teams left to play five in a row. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And but, as we all know, even as young guys, that is that is tough. Yeah. yeah. Powell River, we played them the last game of uh, the round robin, and they actually sat some guys. They knew they had to go through the semis by that time. So they sat a few guys out. Uh, you know, they, they knew how to win. They'd won it before. They'd been in the semis the year before, knew what sort of things. So they didn't give us their best team that night. And then uh, in the finals, we were tight. Uh, we were beat up a bit. We lost. Uh, Ray, I think, had two separated shoulders. Oof. Jim Bourne had a broken hand. Like uh, Guys were playing, but we weren't uh, where we, we we should be or needed to be. Um, yeah, it still played like, uh, I think it ended with us, like 20, 25 shots to the... Well, you hit a, a post and I hit a crossbar in the last two minutes to tie it. And they scored the empty net to beat us. Like so we're Gurms hit a, a post or had an empty net. Or, yeah. Like we had chances and outshot them and yeah. probably started a bit slow or a bit nervous. and Yeah, tight. And but just you wasn't thought your opportunity was gone. I mean, that a lot of guys uh, shut her down after that year. And we really had no idea we'd ever uh, get back to that. So going into the next season, we were even scrambling to find enough guys to make a roster which is crazy to think. yeah no league to play in and at that time we we didn't have a coach um we had to convince uh billy thon bill thon our old coach to come back and uh, thankfully agreed to do that and we started the year it just looked like it'll be tough to finish the year and it's funny how things work out because that's the year we we went on to to win our first allen cup yeah and i i had no clue that bill thon was the guy coaching oh I had no idea. I, I was heard his name today, and I was like, well, who is that? Yeah. And on a side note, Bill goes into the Saskatchewan, Saskatchewan Hockey Hall of Fame this summer. And yeah. So a bunch of us uh, Border Kings will go support his wife and, That's cool. and family for it. And Yeah. Yeah, so where is Bill originally from? Melfort. Yeah. Oh, he's a Melfort guy. I think so, yeah. End up in Lloyd to play Border Kings and teach, and uh, then was a principal in Maidstone for years and yeah you talk about dedication or commitment to a team like uh, 
he coached us the one year he was living in Radisson and driving back uh, three, four times a week to coach us. So, you know, and it, and just you know, for gas money, it wasn't a paid position, yeah. but yeah, he just liked well, being part of it. And that's what senior hockey's built on is volunteers, right? Absolutely. Like, I mean, yeah, you lose that, especially and you don't in have Saskatchewan a sport anymore. Yeah, yeah. Well, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I keep hearing. Uh, uh, that the Allen Cup might be dying. Have you? Yeah, it's unfortunate. I'm, I'm hearing the same thing. Like they give out uh, extra uh, spots to Alberta teams this year. Yeah. Um, Ontario teams had uh, had turned it down, and Atlantic teams, I guess. Mm-hmm. So. And Alberta's they they're it's they're thriving. thriving. Yeah. Yeah. They have a great little league, and. Well, I just seen that Rosetown's backing out of it for next year. They just announced that they won't be in the. Uh, what are they calling to it? go triple A or. I actually I don't know. Or they're, they're just, in the league with Alberta. They're, they're in the league. Yeah. With, they play in yeah. the league, and they said uh, they just released a press release that said that they're uh, announcing they won't be in the league yeah. next year. I really feel once, and I know they've had to do this to compete at that level. That when you make the move to start having to pay guys, and it's not for you know the to want to play with your teammates and 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 the love of playing hockey still um, when it's you're being paid to come. It's the start of the end, and I mean, even in in your league here uh, with the local league, when you see communities that take that step to start, all of a sudden, you know, you have a pretty strong team, and well, we just had to have to add a couple pieces, That's and right. let's pay a few guys to come in. It usually spells the end. Well, I can safely say, and I've said this on many a podcast, a that Hillmont doesn't pay, but there has been. Uh, every year probably comes around once or twice where somebody asks to get paid yeah and it's a simple choice of no right but it puts you on the spot every every year right it yeah. only takes one person to say oh no we can do that under the books yeah. nobody needs to know about yeah. it right there's in senior hockey it's there's a, a real way to get slippery around slope it. and then it's yeah. slippery slope right yeah yeah well i hope it doesn't like i mean it's all this hockey trophy and yeah, mm-hmm. right. Yeah, it's like, as old as Stanley Cup, and it's older. Nineteen oh nine, I believe. Yeah, right. Like that's a lot of years. I, I to keep something going like that takes special individuals, mm-hmm. and special people, just to keep pushing it. And you know, like we always go back to volunteers, but without volunteers, a lot of things don't happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, and senior hockey. I just uh, we just had an awards banquet, right? And we get to, you know, have all the volunteers out, give them a supper, that kind of thing, right? Make sure that, you know, we're trying to give them, you know, a round of applause and thank mm-hmm. you for helping. Because without those people, right, like, the guys just get to come out and play hockey. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, without them people pushing and coming and sporting and all the fans even coming yeah. out, right? Like, I mean, what do you really got? No. That's the reality for playing minor hockey in, in uh, you know, in small towns. That's without right. uh you being willing to give your time to fundraise for for the rink and to work the kitchen to and it's a great experience it's a great it's a great for your kids to be in a situation where they see mom and dad giving that time and, yeah. and the effort it takes as a community to uh, just to play yeah i think it's a terrific place to have your kids play grow up and see that to play a sport and to enjoy the fruits of of hockey that the effort it takes to to be able to ice a team and to have a rink, and um, uh, and I think that's what makes Saskatchewan and always has unique, 
and as towns start to shrink and and uh, it's you just hope that it, it's there in the future as farming becomes more bigger and bigger and less people are able to make a living that way and yeah. it's I worry for the future in that regard and there's a lot of well you guys know it like you go through Saskatchewan you go to some pretty cool little small towns that got some pretty cool ranks uh, absolutely yeah history and everything else that goes with it and mm-hmm. yeah I, I don't know I senior hockey is well in Saskatchewan I mean it's just like it's a beast of its own it's so cool there's so much history there mm-hmm. um every little town right I you know it tops up there with probably five of the coolest nights that I've ever had but the, the night we wanted in Helmond the party that happened after we won is something I will never ever forget <laughs> mm-hmm. from the 18 or I guess 19 year old to the like 70 year old partying until five in the morning and like I always say like I had to get pretty much helped out of the dressing room to have my wife come pick me up take me home and there was still 70 year olds partying 60 year olds partying Francis was one of them, yeah. right? Like, he was still giving her. Raymond Faltemeyer was another yeah. one. They were just, right? Like, they were going. Yeah. And uh, that is something that, I mean, I'm sure the PA Raiders last night mm-hmm. had an epic party. I mm-hmm. guarantee it. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, that's, but for a little farming community of Hillmont, Saskatchewan, to have a draw to 37 years and then to yeah. win a Saskelta title, yeah. right? And the party that ensues after it is pretty cool. Yeah. And when, like I say, it's just etched in my brain. Like, what was it like winning the Allen Cup that year after you you almost don't have a team or you're, you're struggling to find a coach? Now you find the pieces kind of start to fall together. You guys win your league? We weren't in a league. Oh, you weren't in a league. No, and a couple of key things, ha- like it just, when we look back, it just, things fell into place and worked out and it was just our time, like... Uh, Two, two of our defensemen that had been longtime Border King players, uh, Rob Quist and Ray Nielsen, uh, decided to come back and play again after Christmas. That was key. Um, it took, uh, like, took them till that time to get healthy from the year before. Yeah. So they come back rested and, and better than Better they, than ever. Yeah, they, and that was a huge one. We, we found three guys from out of town, uh, Dave Morrell, that we'd said was kind of yeah. the the elite of Saskatchewan senior hockey, uh, Ian Barton Monroe Swenson and Ian Monroe. Yeah. Best Monroe had ever played in his life. Um, yeah. And it, it just, uh, everything ticked and it. Even, uh, even to get out of Saskatchewan, North Battleford had a really good team that year and, uh, Regina, no, or, or Regina. We were scared of Regina. We were scared of, and they beat out Regina cause yeah. Regina got us previously. And, and then we, we found our way around uh we had a guy named uh jeff rosner and he was a unique you mentioned uh, marty smith a while back yeah. there of still playing at 46 well he was a, a battle for talent homegrown boy really talented but he did not like rosner and rosner uh, just spent the whole series scaring the living daylights out of him i'd say <laughs> he told morg after he said he ruined my summer he said it was not fun um, and that's how that Rosner played. He was just mean and had no idea what he might do. Fun to have on your team. Hate yeah, to play against. Hate to play him. against. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And when you're talking, when I was uh, reflecting, when you were talking about the party, um, yeah, we certainly had a party. 
but our party was more like this. We had to fly out of out of Detroit at like three, four in the morning. No, six in the morning. So we were leaving Sarnia at like uh, two or three in the morning. So our party ended up being sitting around a great big round table, and uh, and everybody spoke and and talked about what it had meant, and it was just uh, so memorable and and so enjoyable. I mean, a, a few were certainly full, but. There was a lot of heartfelt uh, things and, and disbelief that we'd done it, and it, it was well, that team, equally enjoyable. That team is now in the SAS Cocky Hall of Fame, right? Sass, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, we went in last summer. Like that had to have been special. Yeah, it was. It was a. It was good, and it was even now maybe more with uh, losing Bill that. Uh, yeah. That next year, and so. Um, yeah, it was a cool experience, and and I, I mean, just looking at the board over there, a guy like Elmer Franks who had put so much time, and you're talking about volunteers um, into sports in the community in general, let alone the Border Kings hockey team, that uh, it was rewarding for them just as much as as an individual. Yeah, but the tournament just again that it worked out at our first game we played. Uh, Dundas, yeah, mm-hmm. Dundas, and yeah. they were probably the most talented. They had twelve ex NHL players on their team. As as on paper, um, it it shouldn't even have been a game. And the way the game started, it looked like oh boy, we're this is going to be a long tournament. We were they dropped the puck, and I got slew footed right off the first drop of the puck. I I stand up to put my helmet back on, and we're lining back up again because they went down and scored. I got to interrupt. So, uh, <laughs> as, as, a, as a coach now, I cannot believe, but the draw Corey won the draw back to me, uh, and I'm all about a, a, a deep start in the opposition end. And now as a coach, but Corey won the draw to me, and I I hit up the ice and gained their blue line. I drop pass. Uh, just over their blue line I, I don't know what I was thinking drop pass look up as I turn around and here's Morg down on his knees trying to pick his helmet up because he'd been slew footed and his helmet was <laughs> off they go down and score and I, and this is like uh, I'm gonna say 12 seconds yeah like yeah it, it and I and I would lose my mind coaching uh, 10 year old kids now with that play that I did anyway so Morg's then we line back up again and I get strapped in again and but you're trying you know you're you're battling and you're not going to take this so then i slew foot the guy i'm lined up against to give him well, a little bit of medicine, medicine back and and i get the i'm in the penalty box and they they turn around within 10 15 seconds of the penalty they score again so we're down two nothing within a minute of the game and uh then we had a, a bit of a semi brawl in our end where jason clegg our goaltender was a real chirper and and uh, fired a few of their players up and I remember one of them made a comment like you guys might be the worst team we've we've seen all year like you don't even deserve to be here and thinking geez he's probably right <laughs> <laughs> and then it turned uh um I I had a, I went down and it was two nothing at that point yeah there, yeah and um drove to the net with the puck and to this day, I'm not convinced it went in, but it was under the goalie enough, and he, the goalie was in the net that I jumped up and threw up my arms like it was in and pointing and trying to you talk it. about the antics of the game, trying to sell the goal. And Rafi looked around and 
he pointed that he's seen it too and he hadn't but blew the whistle goal so now it's 2-1 and then uh cory dellen then shot one off the back of the goalie's head and and killing a penalty from behind the net hit the the back of the goalie and went in so just went our way it just it, it turned and was sort of like maybe this is meant to be i think we won that one 5-2 uh in the end and and the Morgan spoke earlier about goaltending uh clegg was the mvp of the tournament and deservedly yep. so and deservedly yeah. so yeah. yeah absolutely yeah he was having a winning week he went to the he's a real gambler and went to the racetrack and won a bunch of money <laughs> at the track but then he got a phone call from Manita. Uh, to say that uh, his young son had just flushed Kale, who's now with L.A., That's right. flushed a tennis ball down the toilet, and they had to pay the plumber something like $700 to come <laughs> yes. and fix the plumbing. So he said there went the winnings from the track, but he was on a roll. Oh, God. So you guys finish in top spot in that, play, in that, in that Allen Cup, so yeah. you get the bye. I keep hearing about this baseball story on your day off. You're having a day off. Do you care to enlighten me on this? Well, just, uh, you know, when I, we're real advocates now coaching, not sitting around the hotel room. So yep. uh, become a ritual. It, it was a great setup there. Our hotel was right near the rink, it was near the restaurant. So we didn't have busing. We just uh, played in the park like we were kids and walked to the restaurants. Um, but our ritual every day was a game of uh, scrub ball with a tennis ball and baseball bat. We bought it to Fishers or Walmart or something. <laughs> there isn't Fishers anymore, is there? No. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't Walmart then either, I don't think. Um, but, yeah, I forget. I think Morg was pitching and, and Mars was our ump. And uh, and so a high fastball come through and caught Marcel right in the eye and downed him. And so that was uh, the injury report. Buchanan was sending injury reports back to Lloyd over the radio. <laughs> <laughs> Only injury report we had uh, was Marcel with a, a black eye. But those were, again, the camaraderie and bringing team together yeah. and, and not sitting around in individual groups. Everybody was out there doing it and having some laughs and staying loose. And So that's when it is easier to win on the road. I know hotels and... and uh, and restaurant meals make it tough for teams that aren't used to it, but togetherness sure does help. Mm-hmm. When you're in Lloyd, you sat there all day that last day thinking about that game. Back to you, most most people went to work and work and a long day worrying about it and fretting about it. We're here, we were together, and we were light and yeah, and uh, we we dominated uh, Petroli in the finals. So is it then the next year you get to go to? Uh, Poland? When do you guys go to Poland? Yeah, so at, at that time, Hockey Canada awarded the Allen Cup winners to... It, actually, to go to the Four Nations Cup was was always hosted in Japan. Japan, yeah. And that was an Olympic year. And and the year of the lockout. Because uh, going into it, uh, um, the team we ended up playing, Poland, had played previously that... Was Gretzky's it? Traveling yeah, All-Stars. Gretzky's Yeah. So anyway, they they set up a deal that we could go to Poland and play their national team, and and that was would have to be a highlight to have that opportunity as as all Canadian, all I'm, of us I'm growing up have staring, that opportunity to put on that at jersey. The jersey. And I'm going like, you know, on out of all the things I ever wanted to do as a kid, putting on a Canada jersey is pretty much at the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I'd agree, and that's. Uh, uh, I've told the kids, um, like, there's two Allen Cup rings, and, and 
that jersey's classified in with it and and they've had their choice as to to what i would leave them and that's their choice yeah and, and it is mine too I, I i mean i appreciate the rings and but that jersey i still put it on to watch world juniors or yeah or the kids like to wear it when the world juniors are on and and uh it's certainly i know we weren't in the world juniors but we were representing canada for uh, three games and it was a highlight mm-hmm. any stories from over in poland oh not particular probably <laughs> i know when we when we first went there with uh there was an assumption by their media that um this was like a pro team coming over not not working class uh, individuals from one community that just happened to be fortunate enough to put on the jersey and come over that they were asking a lot of questions of how many years of NHL experience and there was there was none of that on our team but the, um, the media was pretty tough on them like uh, they were ecstatic they beat us 7-6 in game one and, uh, and they were ecstatic and then through interpretation and uh, they come to realize we were just a, a club team and, and not the team they would face at the Olympics. And, and they faced a lot of criticism then and, and uh, disappointment all around. But um, yeah, so we seven, six, uh, then the and a late game. goal, like it was tied. Yeah, late. we tied it late. And then yeah. they, and, and Bart uh, Redden will say again, he would lose his mind on his kids to do it now, but he had a chance to get the puck deep and and tried to make a move and lost it and and they uh, went ahead and beat us that game so um, there was that one but then I think that kind of the highlight the next game we played him to three three we toured Auschwitz that day and was a real and eye opener be an mm -hmm. eye opener mm -hmm. and uh, we got there late uh, and we thought they'd back the game up our our interpreter was uh, a bit wingy and he got us there late. Um, so we like bust for three hours in, got off, got dressed and had to play. And always, uh, uh, something that sticks with me is Willie Desjardins was our guest coach. Oh yeah. 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 And, and Willie said, I have never, uh, seen a group of people, uh, team work like you guys or, or not use excuses. He said, if that was an NHL team that got in late, they would refuse to dress and this and that. And he said, you guys just old hat you went out and you played your hearts out so those kind of uh, yeah he said it was cool a, he found yeah. it a very refreshing trip to yeah see hockey it in its pure form again about guys that really love it that much and and no excuses and work that hard and and our trainer and, and he was a real treat the to, same thing yeah too, that uh, he was so um, worn out by i don't know uh, entitled kids that he'd been dealing with with the blades to to work with us that uh please and thank you and, and carry his stuff for him. And, you know, th those are sort of uh, lessons we try and instill in, in the kids we coach now too. Mm -hmm. I guess from that game, and it was very somber trip and nobody spoke after touring Auschwitz to go to, to uh, was that uh, Zakopane? I think so, yeah. Anyway, um, and played them to a 3-3 tie, but they really outplayed us and outshot us badly. And... Um, I tell this to students at school all the time. Every now and then in sports, you see something that's uh, exceptional or, or like it's um, it's it's hard to believe what you just witnessed. And that game, Clint Choken playing goalie or playing goal for us was like in another world. He made saves that were 
that were unbelievable and um i don't know if you concur but that yeah yeah that i mean he it was just exceptional i don't know if you could see a, a game uh of goal played better and um after the game he was awarded the the m the he got the tomahawk for player of the game and he took that to the local tavern after and the locals there i mean all wanted a piece of him and gathered around and so as the night went on he was uh, demonstrating them demonstrating to them how to ice fish and he was auger 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 and he went through chisel chisel and <laughs> yeah. then he and then he'd make a big show of catching a fish and they'd all jump back Up over his chair and he, he was a local celebrity for sure so that, that was we had a lot of a lot of fun that <laughs> night he celebrated so vigorously we practiced like I, I think we were practicing by 10 the next morning and and clint was not a star the next morning <laughs> <laughs> he was horrible <laughs> but he got his gear on and got out there anyway yeah, yeah absolutely yeah you know uh you guys played a lot of years for the Kings. Ten years? Ten for me years. and twelve for Murph. Yeah. And I hate to glaze over the second. Like, you end up going on to win a second Allen Cup. You get, Do you guys appear, you appeared in five? You appeared in five Allen I was Cups? in five, yeah. Morgan would have been okay, four. Okay, four right? then yeah. for me, eh? Yeah. Like, yeah. do you care to, like, I guess we could talk a little bit about the second Allen Cup. I mean, that's no slouch either. I mean, that one was in, uh, still Back to Stony again. Yeah, Stony yep. Plain, right? Um, yeah, not a whole that, lot. Was to... that the first year it was televised, Merv? Or no, I don't think it was televised. Was that not televised? Because now they tell. Well, yeah, I, this yeah. year I watched. It. Yeah, yeah, and they have been for a while. I think it was actually one of the next uh, year or two because I remember watching uh, Hood play with uh, Bentley, Bentley uh, in Manitoba, and and Ben's Miller from here as well. Yeah, um, I, wa- I remember watching that game. Speaking of which, where did I put that? It, there was a Ben's Miller on your guys' roster. Brad, Brad yeah, Brad's from Kitscotty area here. Yeah. Oh, it's a different ah, yeah, a relative. I got you. I got you. Yeah. I got you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw the Ben's Miller name and I went. I didn't realize Ben's Miller played for the Kings. Yeah, and he was a scrappy uh, hustler Gritty, as yeah. well. Yeah, he was. He wasn't big. <laughs> no, but played but with everything he had. Everything he had. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Hard on his body. Was that uh, was that second year you win the Allen Cup uh, as special as the first? I mean, oh, I guess it, I mean the first yeah. is always special. Yeah, and different, more, eh? When you're not uh, Morgan and I together. Yeah. Um, but to also think that we'd never uh, do it again, and and then uh, I remember in the fall we you know had a few kids show up and I thought we got a a better team than we've had the last couple, and we didn't have a coach at the time, so I remember. Uh, about four of us went and sat with uh, Stanny to see if he'd coach and, and looking around the room and thinking it was Tyler Scott, Greg Brown, Scott Hood, myself, and I was thinking, well, Hood's still going to play, but the other three of us, we may not see much ice with the new coach. And But that's uh, guys were willing to do that to be successful still. Yeah. And, and so from there, yeah, we had a good run, um, really good run. We lost to... To Bentley, uh, the first game we got there, but we realized we we fit in too, and then it all fell in place. Also had probably the best goalie again. Best goalie, the McEachern that had won in Lloyd uh, two years previous to that with Thunder Bay, and he he was a star. Yes, Thunder Thunder Bay's when they beat out Horse Lake, and yeah, they kind of became Lloyd Lloyd's favorite to 
second favorite team. Well, for sure, when we were out, everybody got behind Thunder Bay. Thunder Bay. Because yeah. of Theory's antics while he was in town. <laughs> um, okay, so I can uh, I can see Morg has looked at his watch, see what time I'm keeping him here <laughs> to at night. I just tucking it away. I uh, I got a couple quick ones for you, a couple fun questions that will get us off the beaten path. I had this one, me and Lance uh, Callback were talking about it, and he had a question he, he wanted me to ask. So if you could use a time machine to go to any sporting event, or if you like any event in history, where would you go and what would you what event would you go to? Hmm. I want to see the Kentucky Derby someday. Uh, yeah, that's you know, it's a tough time of year for me to you get away. You can do that in the future. You've got it. You're in a to time go machine. back you into can it. Go back. Mom and Dad went to the Kentucky Derby this year. As, oh yeah. Yeah. As did they find it as special as? Yeah, like, they said it was terrific. Eh? Terrific. Yeah. 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 Neat. Someday. <laughs> uh, to go back. I guess like, I don't even follow it anymore, but uh, a heavyweight uh, boxing match mm, at Madison Square. Yeah. yeah, I was just going to say, I consider uh, Muhammad Ali to be the greatest athlete to ever live, and maybe when he beat Sonny Liston for the first time, yeah, would have been pretty cool. That would be cool. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that. But yeah, Muhammad Ali in his heyday. Yeah, and the social movements he caused during yeah. his time for yeah. what he oh, stood up for and yeah. That's a good one. I didn't see that one coming. I thought for sure somebody was going to say Bobby Orr flying through the air or, <laughs> or something along that line. Famous picture. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. If you were heading into Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final and you could choose one teammate, who would you take? I have a teammate uh, It doesn't matter. Actually, not even with? a teammate. No, no. Let's not even go there. Let's just say you had one player you wanted to bring along. Who would it be? Game 7. It, it doesn't have to be a teammate you played with. It can be Wayne Gretzky for all I care. Mark Messier. Mark Messier. Mr. Game, well, not Mr. Game 7, Mr. That, that was actually uh, who I would say, too. I, uh, yeah. You guys brothers or something? Um, <laughs> but I, I'd go throw another one out there that I really liked. Uh, it was Larry Robinson. Larry Robinson? Yeah. No, it, uh, that was kind of the childhood uh, idol that I admired all the way through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What What has been the hardest adjustment from playing to coaching? I just literally watched Rod Bridmore. They had a little special on him before the game started. Mm. And he was talking about making the switch from playing to coaching. And he said, I thought, you know, coaching, how hard can it be? Just make sure your players get ice time, the best ones, and the rest you just kind of manage and, you know, whatever. And they go play. And he goes, oh, I was wrong. Right, mm-hmm. and yet he's being very successful at it. Mm-hmm. But going from playing to coaching, what what surprised you? Like, what was, what didn't you see coming? Well, I, for one, I as a player and being pretty loose and a bit carefree, younger, and never really thought the coach had much to do with the outcome. Um, not, I enjoyed every coach I've ever had, and and always respected who that was, and and appreciated my coach, but. I just as a player just didn't think that the game was determined by whoever was the coach but now as a as a coach you you feel like the the stress of wins and losses feels like it's your responsibility um 
and so now I feel, yeah, that would be one thing of feels, and not necessarily, I guess, the outcome. I still, it's the players uh, underneath you, but I didn't realize the stress that goes into um, those wins and losses of, you know, trying to find that way of getting the best out of all your players and making sure they're looked after and if you care about them and, and want them to succeed. Um in the game and on the ice, but also as being successful as people, it's it's a stressful at times. Yeah, certainly, I'd, I'd echo the stress. Like uh, I, I sleep on the couch thinking about it, or lay awake there thinking about it a lot more than I did as a player, because you you had your hands on the outcome more, or, or you could um, do more about it. It felt like um, the other thing, you know, I I, I get. Uh, there's times where you'd like to get back out there and right a wrong. Um, that watching or, or coaching a game now, and you you see the other coach doing something that you don't agree with, or even refing for that matter. Or, but you, I mean, there's nothing you can do about that now, and that's frustrating. And and as a player, you could get out and you could hit somebody, or you could uh, have a fight, or, or maybe try and score a big goal, but. As a coach now, you're stuck to just trying to give advice and, and put the right people out there. And and motivating through words or, you know, it gets uh, it gets empty at times. Like how else to say the same thing and and get the message through. But, yeah, you're right. To, the, it's fr- it can be frustrating to at times not have the autonomy to get out there and do something about it. I'll end with one final one. It's a little game we've been playing here over the last couple of, couple of uh, start with more. <laughs> sure, it's it's easy. There's nothing. There's nothing tough tough about it. There's a, a game where you you gotta marry one, date no, marry one, kill one, screw one. That's a nice way of putting it. But we turned it into hockey. So you gotta sign a guy, trade a guy, buy out a guy, and the three guys are the last three Oilers' first overall picks. Bouchard, Pugliarvi, Yamamoto. Who are you signing? Who are you trading? Who are you buying out? I'd sign Bouchard, buy out Pugliarvi, and uh, trade, trade, Yamamoto. trade Yamamoto. Yeah, I'd have to agree. You don't think there's anything there with Pugliarvi? No. I, honestly, he's the most frustrating guy I watch. He's floundering around, lost, and... Uh, I remember Mork saying he, he went us up and sat close in a game and watched uh, Luchik just about losing his mind having to play on a line with PRV. And maybe if he gets to the minors over some time and gets some confidence and, and uh, some systems in him, but I don't see it. I think it's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. So the Oilers scouting staff just miss it that, that much? Well, uh, I mean, his countryman, uh, the GM of Columbus passed right over him he he obviously would know him better than anybody and he he passed right over him uh, that if that wasn't a red flag i don't know what was but i mean it, it you can't i mean i'm certainly not those are smart guys making those decisions too yeah. and they're hockey guys like he come out of world junior and um then played i think that year in the in the world hockey with the senior championships i mean looked like he could play but Watching him live or watching him now, it just doesn't seem like he has the sense to play at that level, the hmm. hockey IQ. 
Yeah, you raised some very good points. I, I think he was a surprise. I think that they had no idea that they were, you know, it was always a lock. Those three were going. Yep, one, two, three. And, that, you know, they probably put a bit of time in, but uh, had moved on to four, five, and six. And, and then all of a sudden it got thrown at him. And, and then what was Kachuk then two picks later to Calgary? Yeah, yeah, something like that. I mean, in the, in the, the way actual. he played that year at, in Red Deer when, yep. when they. Uh, Everybody talks about it. When they won the, the Memorial Cup and. I remember, like Kale Clegg was in it with that year with Brandon and Jason coming back saying, "That's the guy." Yeah, like he just brings everything, the tenacity. Um, you know, do, we'll do whatever it takes to win, and you can't put a value on that. I mean, you may be big and skate, and the Oilers over the years have drafted a lot of those guys trying to emulate the '80s of guys with speed and and do one thing really well, but. The one thing they haven't seen to be drawn to, and maybe that comes with getting that first or overall pick, where other teams that pick deeper, you're maybe not the same skill set, but that want. that grit and want yeah. and that competitiveness. Like I've really, I've said to teams when I'm picking a team, I I evaluate three things, and number one to me is compete and battle. It's the first thing, the most important thing to me. And secondly is your hockey IQ, and third is your skill set. But I don't think anything's more important than that willingness to compete. It's the difference between winning and losing. They almost seem to want to take that away from from kids or players now, though. Like they don't want to Chuck to be the agitator and the and the to they they play so many games and it's a business to them that um, most of the league is down on them for playing that way, but. You win hockey games with those guys, well, too. That, I mean, why is Boston winning? Yeah. I'm just going to say. That's, know, it's still what makes the difference. Marchand was, well, social media was just blowing up on what he did to Justin Williams at the end of mm-hmm. in the last game, right, where he gives him a little shot. And uh, I just like, uh, it, people just forgot what a, a pest is. Mm-hmm, that's, mm-hmm. that's what he's doing in the playoffs. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. how you win. You get on the other team's skin. You get them off their game. Yeah. And then all they're thinking about is how to drill you, and in the meantime, yeah. you fill the net. Yeah. In any sport, the I mean, the will to win is just the X factor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, really cool, guys. I really appreciate you guys coming in to do this. You're two guys that I was thinking about when it came to me learning how to skate, my edge work and all that. I always remember the hockey camps and the power skating, and that was Morg. Morg, was the, you were the guy out there all the time. Um, with uh, Elaine, wasn't it? Lana, Lane, yeah. Lana, Lane. Yeah. And uh, somehow you made power skating fun. And I'm telling you, power skating is not fun. <laughs> no. right? yeah. And then I, I give high praise on other podcasts to the year that J.P. Kelly and Merv were my coaches in Bantam and we won it. And I you know, wish we would have won Provincials that year. We were that good of a team and we were that well coached. But I really appreciate you guys coming in. This has been a lot of fun for me to sit around with you two and hear your guys' stories and where you went and where you played and mm-hmm. and uh, hopefully make it uh, a fun experience for you guys as well. well. It certainly brought back some good memories, yeah. uh, Tiger, and uh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks awesome. very much. Yes, thanks yeah. for coming in, guys. Right on. Hey, guys. Uh, that was a lot of fun. I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as uh, <laughs> I enjoyed sitting across from those two. I got a lot of, uh, a lot of respect for um, Morgan Merv, man. Uh, they come with a lot of stories they've uh been around a lot of hockey to be honest and um 
really cool to just hear their stories and, and where they've gone and and uh, just their thoughts on hockey and different aspects of it. So next uh, Tuesday in studio, uh, I am joined by Skip Crick, uh, originally from North Battleford. Uh, he played for uh, the Esteban Bruins and the SJHL, and obviously he went on to play if you don't know who Skip is, he went on to play in the NHL with the Bruins, the Kings, and the Sabres. Uh, he eventually played in the World Hockey Association with the uh, Cleveland Crusaders and the Edmonton Oilers. So I'm really excited for this. I've heard uh, nothing but uh, positive things about Skip and that his stories are legendary. So I look forward to having Skip in here next week. Uh, thanks for tuning in, guys. Until, until then.